This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Happy Friday to you. Happy Friday. Also, National Take Down the Christmas Tree Day. Tis the day you take down the tree. And while you're at it, get the lights, too, on the outside of the house. Oh, yeah. But, you know, now it's icy. Storms everywhere across the country. This is why I don't put up you know, lights on my house. I don't either. fall off. No need to fix that. Uh, today, take down the tree day. We've got a lot to talk about. It is Friday, so uh, we'll set you up for a good weekend as well. Uh, later in the show, we'll be talking about our movies. What? Wow, what's going on? Oh, neat. Otanenbaum. By the Motab. Yeah, this is the song you play when you take down the tree. You have to sing it in German, though. Why? Because the song is in German. Which brings up our next topic, that if you learn a language, it improves your tolerance levels. You're a more tolerant person if you're bilingual. But so that's why we need to learn German to take down to the tree and be more tolerant. Learn German to be more tolerant. <laughs> Got it. It doesn't seem, yeah, doesn't seem right, but it, the, the data shows if you learn a language, it improves your tolerance level. I think it's totally true. I'm a more tolerant person because I also lived abroad for two years. That matters. Um, you lived as abroad for two years? I lived abroad. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. His hearing's horrible. We've got to get Jeff's ears checked. A lot to talk about today. We'll get to all of that. Plus, we will be finding out what Vice President Biden, the advice he gave to Donald Trump. It's the same advice that my mom gave to me when I was about 16. Clean your room. (laughs) Not even close. Wash behind your ears. Nope. Wear clean underwear. straight. Nope. No? Grow up! Vice President Biden tells President-elect Trump to grow up. We'll get to that audio, all of that excitement. But first, to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on? Thanks, Matt. Director of National Intelligence James Clapper said on Thursday that Russia's cyber attacking campaigns are multifaceted and also include fake news. This was a multifaceted campaign, Clapper said at a Senate hearing on Thursday morning, so the hacking was only one part of it. It also entailed classical propaganda, disinformation, and uh, fake news, Clapper testimony Uh, Confirmed suspicion that in addition to hacking into U.S. political institutions like the Democratic National Committee, Russia helped propagate and spread fake news online as part of its purported goal to help elect Donald Trump. Asked whether Russia's campaign is continuing, Clapper simply said yes. Clap on. (laughs) President Obama was informed Thursday of that intelligence assessment. It will be presented to Trump this morning. In New York. Mm. CNN reports that President-elect Trump's transition team has indicated to Republicans in Congress that the incoming administration would like to fund a long-promised wall at the Mexican border through the appropriations process. Throughout the campaign, Trump promised that he would get Mexico to pay for the wall. Transition officials have told House GOP leaders in private meetings that they'd like to pay for the wall in a funding bill, a senior House GOP source told CNN. On Friday morning, Trump said that the media has it all wrong. The dishonest media does not report that any money spent on building the Great Wall for sake of speed will be paid back by Mexico later, even though Mexico has said they're not paying for the wall. Yeah, no. So we'll see where the well, there'll be invoice. The Great Wall funding 
dispute. Well, <laughs> yeah, maybe if there's an invoice, maybe right. they'll just say, oh, well, there's an invoice. We'll just pay give it. it to a call center, and the call center keeps calling Mexico until yeah. they pay. Just a collections agency, right? Yeah. It would be great. Chicago police have charged two men and two women for a Facebook Live video posted on Wednesday that appears to show them torturing a man and yelling at him. The assailants, who are black, were purportedly seen in the video beating a man who is white and has mental health challenges. Oh. At one point, the young man's scalp was cut with a knife. The forward charged with a variety of felony charges, including aggravated kidnapping, hate crime, aggravated unlawful restraint, aggravated battery with a deadly weapon, and others. Oh, boy. The man Poor was kid. found stumbling in the streets later, bloody from the yeah. cut, and his clothes were, were cut, too, as they uh, Facebook they Lives, can, what do you do? I mean, it's a, it's a really neat idea, but you can't, you can't have people torturing people on Facebook Live. Did or it, right. Facebook Live murders, we've heard of the drive-bys. Right. Did anybody watch it and try to notify the police when they saw that know. it was happening? Not sure. It's sad. Mm. And finally, Norway is entering the history books with a radio-related first. The country is shutting down its FM radio network in favor of a digital-only transmissions. The country will begin cutting its FM network uh, next Wednesday, starting with a, the northern city of Bodo, before moving south. All five national channels on FM will stop broadcasting by the end of the year, though some local stations will continue FM broadcasts through 2022. The plan has been in place for years. The digital radio costs Norway the same as the FM network, $29 million a year, but allows for eight times more radio stations. Mm. But residents aren't impressed. A poll shows 66% of Norwegians oppose the move compared to 17% in favor and 17 undecided. Among the critics of, are the owners of uh, 2 million vehicles without digital audio broadcasting receivers who will need a $170 digital adapter, and those who fear emergency alerts, usually broadcast on FM radio, mm. will go unheard. You've heard there's, uh, uh, sometimes bad. they call it HD radio, where yeah. there's like separate channels, and you get like your main channel, and there's two or three, and they just play music or, you know, whatever else they, they play. And uh, they're out there, but now Norway is just saying, we're just going to go with the we're, other They're going to force the hand. Apparently. See, I think in, in reality, it sounds like a good deal. They're going to get more channels, but now everybody has to get the receivers. They have to retrofit or whatever. Hmm. Hmm. Well, at least they still have radio. I mean, that's the big deal. A lot of people are worried about it. But, hey, you don't need to worry because you got the Matt Townsend show. Right. Just podcasts. Terry South, Jeff Simpson, the whole gang's here. We're here. We got your back. And it's Friday, which means we get to talk movies today. Yes. We get to do a data dump or what do we call it? A news dump? <laughs> Flush. Flush. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. News flush. Flush. Uh, speaking of news flush, Uh-oh. Vice President Joe Biden, uh, and he said it in a very calm way. He did. Almost some would say condescending way. Yes, very but much so. basically he tells the president-elect that he needs to just – he just, just needs to grow up. And grow up, Donald. Grow up. Time to be an adult. You're president. You got to do something. Show us what you have. You're going to propose it on legislation. We're going to get to debate it. Let the public decide. Let them vote in Congress. Let's see what happens. It's going to be much clearer what he's for and against and what we're for and against now that it's going to get down to actually discussing in detail these issues that affect people's lives. Hmm. I mean, other than the grow up part, 
it's a very it's very good advice. It was in response to a question about all the different um, tweets that have that have been put out by yeah. uh, by Trump in response to things that uh, like the President, transition that's not going right. well. The specifically the one that was mentioned last was when uh, Trump said, "I thought this was going to be a peaceful transition, not." And then yeah. he told him to grow up. <laughs> It almost makes you wonder. So do you remember that congressman whose son was dabbing yesterday or two days yes. ago? Yes. It maybe maybe Trump has a dual personality. And when he's on his Twitter feed, yeah. he turns into the dabbing 16-year-old kid that got, you know, reprimanded by his father. But when he's they say when he's one-on-one, it's very legitimate. It's very it's he's he's a very wonderful interview. Right. Or you know, interaction. You know, I'm a completely different person at two in the morning. If one of my kids wakes <laughs> me up, I'm yeah. like the Hulk. That's true. That's true. But grow up. Does the vice president of the United States tell the pre- president elect to grow up? That never happened. He speculated what a fight between Trump and him would be out by, behind some high school gym at one point. So, Oh, did he? How did that go? Who won that fight? He didn't. But then Trump responded like, anytime, anywhere, let's do this. <laughs> Throw it down. <laughs> it was all like, you know, speculative. But mm. still, you have two, two 80-year-old, basically 80-year-old men talking about getting into a fight. <laughs> so isn't that just another uh, piece of proof that we really live our lives in an arc? You know, we start mm. out as, as babies and we end as babies too. Boy, that's a great – that's well, a profound point. A lot of people end up in diapers both ends, so no problem. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Bringing you the facts on the Matt Townsend Show. I think we've got a sponsor for that later. Yeah, we do. Oh, wow. Um, it's not ending. I mean, there's just a lot of rhetoric going around. A lot is about the Russia, the Russian involvement in the election. Lindsey Graham's had it with Russia. He's, he's had it. In his delicate Southern charm way. So when it comes to espionage, we better be careful about throwing rocks. When it comes to interfering in our election, we better be ready to throw rocks. Do you agree with that? That's a good metaphor. I think what Obama did was throw a pebble. I'm ready to throw a rock. Mm. That's a good metaphor. No, it's unclear if he means a rock or I rock, but yeah. either well, way. You can't throw a rock. You could try. Now you can drop a rock. Or drop something on it or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, he, that was in the, the intelligence uh, briefing meeting they had Hold yesterday. on, that was an intelligence briefing? Allegedly, yes. Wow. Well, you know, grandstanding. Well, no wonder Donald doesn't want to listen to the intelligence briefings. Is anybody saying anything that doesn't sound like it's coming from a five-year-old today? No. Okay. Not in these sound bites, no. I mean, I I could put some intelligent thing together, but eh, that's not fun. It's a (laughs) – it's – I think that everybody just needs to let Donald get in, and then Donald is going to have to be less rhetoric and more results. He's never had to even present a plan. His plan was, I'm building a wall. Mexico's paying for it. Now we're finding out he might just build it under Congress's already existing laws, which means Congress will pay yeah, for it. It'll be a then down he's going to bill them. It'll be a down payment that they actually yeah. build in Mexico. But in the end, you know, within a year or two, he's going to have nothing but – he's going to have to have results or it's over. Right. Right. Then, we, then thought, everyone he, knows he's a fraud. He's mentioned that in the past. I need to, you know, yeah. pay up now. Just give him – let him just at least be inaugurated. That's a month away. No, it isn't. Isn't it? I thought it was four weeks away. 
It's like the twenty twentieth. Oh, of this 20th. month. This month. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, we're already in the month. We're we're, we're oh, heavens. That's right. That's two weeks. Two weeks from today. Oh, look at how it? much we're going to be able to talk about it's that. A, it's on a Friday. Oh, that's great. Which is great because then we won't have to talk about it till Monday. Two that's weeks right. from today. That's good. In uh, in other news, yeah. that I'd mentioned to you before on a, one incredible thing that's catching. This is from uh, a CNN inter- article I read this morning. Tech CEOs, so technology companies, yeah. the, they had that tech summit, yeah. you had all these the, big names, the Apple, summit. Windows, all these people With were the there. Tr- the Trump family summit on technology. The tech CEOs are fearing getting a tweet about their companies at 3 a.m. West Coast time, since the president-elect often tweets at 6 a.m. Eastern, right? Huh. Now, recently, Toyota- Toyota just got, he got they, they were, lambasted. And they their, their price dropped. Boeing, over Air Force One, there was a tweet about them a couple weeks ago, their price dropped- Ford, GM. Yeah. Every time you mention Carrier. somebody, you're you're losing money. So it says the what they've heard is then the um, the tech community is looking forward to Trump in some ways because he could roll back regulations that could have a positive effect on their business. Right. On the other hand, multiple tech leaders say they or their PR folks have adjusted their schedules to make their make sure someone is up at three a.m. local time, Pacific time, to catch <laughs> the tweets before you know, just in case Trump tweets about them. So they can somehow get out in front oh, of it wow. and keep their stock yeah, price yeah. from dropping overnight. Many are saying they've learned how to get Trump Twitter alerts directly on their phone. Some are preparing with an action plan in case he tweets. And we aren't talking about just a, a reply tweet, more of a full-blown media campaign to combat whatever Trump's going to do that's going to hurt their stock Holy price. Yeah, So they got to have somebody up in the middle of the night, yeah. you know, tending to the Twitter feed. Some intern. Yeah, just 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 so he can then put they out have some phone to have calls. a full blown response. But it yeah. seems like the response needs to be customized to whatever his tweet was. Right. So then you're gonna have to bring executives. Uh-huh. Have to do a quick brainstorm. <laughs> Conference calls. But you know what? When you think about the tens of millions of dollars it costs when you drop stock price, right? That's crazy. Wow. Just Don- because Trump is sitting around tweeting at six a.m. But Eastern. honestly, might not be a bad thing. No. I mean, one thing that is happening, these com- these companies are trying to figure out how they're going to handle Donald taking them on about jobs. Right. And maybe that will bring jobs. Meanwhile, Macy's is closing 65 <laughs> stores and 10,000 jobs were lost in a day. Yes. So. Not to mention the whole Sears Kmart thing that's ongoing oh, where they're shutting down. It's crazy. A bunch of stores. Crazy. Hey, uh, another thing we got to talk about, apparently Queen Elizabeth – who's been ill lately, went on a little walk in the middle of the night. I think it was like, I think it was, in, it was late at night. Yeah. And she about got shot by one of the, um, by one of the guards because she's, she's, you know, sneaking up on him. <laughs> they didn't know who she was walking across the property and they about shot her. Wow. Which, you know, that would get rid of her cold. It would. It would also usher in Prince Charles, and yeah, they'd have to redo the that crown would, because oh. of the ears. How do you convince somebody that, <laughs> that you're the so queen? Rude. They just put some ear holes in the side. He'd be fine. Who? Hark! Who goes there? <laughs> the queen. Don't you know who I am? Haven't you seen my Netflix series? <laughs> That's a great accent. It costs 122 million American dollars. <laughs> Let me in. I'm Elizabeth. Does she not wear the crown everywhere she goes? I mean, if you're wearing the crown, you know, no one's going to shoot someone with a crown or a tiara. <sighs> Mate, you're right. Maybe she wasn't wearing it. 
Uh, Your Royal Highness, we need you to wear the crown when you're out on your walks. How else do we know who you are? That's right. And you can no longer wear those hoodie sweatshirts. (laughs) Yeah. You need to give her an official royal hoodie. Yeah. She needs to get it bedazzled or something. Mm. Well, we're lucky she's alive. She's all well. Nobody, nobody harmed. Uh, We will take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking with a professor about how learning a new language improves your tolerance. Some interesting research out of Columbia University. Stick with actually University of Florida. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, less than 1% of American adults today are proficient in a foreign language that they studied uh, in a U.S. classroom. Think about how many different people are coming to America, and do you know any other language other than English? And Pig Latin, of course. Joining us uh, to talk about the importance of and benefits of learning a second language, Professor Amy Thompson, who is a, an associate professor of linguistics at the University of South Florida, is here to uh, to share with us some insight about the benefits and the increased tolerance we may get by learning another language. Uh, professor Thompson, thank you so much for being with us. Well, thanks for having me. Talk about what you're finding out um, in your research about learning another language. It actually does improve our level of tolerance of others? Well, yes. I mean, um, there's different ways to look at the idea of improving tolerance and a couple of different ways. One is an increased tolerance of cross-cultural understanding. And the other one, which is really more focused on research that I do, is an increased tolerance of ambiguity, which means the ability to interact with people or situations when you may not know exactly what's going on. Hmm. And, I mean, part of that is it seems like to get into another language, you – I guess it's one thing to learn the language. It's another thing to get into the culture and learn the language in the culture. Is is there a difference between learning it, you know, in in a in a classroom um, from a teacher, you know, in the United States learning Spanish in the United States versus actually being in the community, being in Argentina or South America or somewhere? Uh, yes, uh, there's definitely a difference, and even there's different terms for those types of language learning. So the type of language learning that you might do in a classroom is called instructed language learning and the type of language learning where you might just say, hey, I'm going to learn Spanish. I'm going to go to Costa Rica and pack a suitcase and you just, you know, start living with a host family or some friends you find online or something like this is called um, not more it's a naturalistic approach or naturalistic language learning. And I think probably for there's pluses and minuses to both of those. And I think that some people are more do better in a, in a classroom instructed learning, learning situation, and some people do better in a more naturalistic uh, approach or a more naturalistic setting. Um, basically, if if the language instruction in the classroom is done well, it should sort of mirror though this naturalistic approach in the sense that maybe a lot of you guys listening, and you know, I know when I was first learning languages. In junior high, I, you know, learning French meant memorizing verb charts, right? Well, right. language learning really isn't supposed to be like that. It's supposed to be more, um, how can I effectively communicate? Oh, if I make a mistake in grammar, that's fine. Am I getting my message across? That's the important thing. 
And so if language teachers in classrooms are doing their job, they're more or less preparing students to, you know, go abroad or, you know, interact with people in their, um, you know, speech communities at home that do speak these other languages. Mm. It's um, it, I, I learned Spanish, lived abroad for two years and used my Spanish, and then I hadn't used it for years but the other night I started watching a Netflix series where they speak Spanish and was use, I was using subtitles. And I noticed mm-hmm. the longer I got into it, the more I could just naturally go back to my second language. I, could, I no longer even needed the subtitles. I could just listen and I was getting it. So is it mm-hmm. – because I, I, part of what – one of the points you bring out is that being bilingual – helps us filter out distractions. Is it just that mm-hmm. it's using our brain differently? Is it using more of our brain? What is it doing? It is. Well, you know, learning your, your first language or your L1 is stored and processed in one part of your brain. And your second language is not that it's an entirely different process, an entirely different part of your brain, but it does use, you know, different aspects of your cognitive abilities. And in the sense, the phenomenon that you were just describing where you haven't used your second language maybe in a while, but then you, you know, hear someone speaking or maybe you visit a country that you haven't visited in a while. And it takes you, you know, maybe 30 minutes or so to get, quote, you know, warmed up mm-hmm. or your cognitive juices flowing in the second language. And then you find that a lot of the language which you thought you've forgotten is resurfacing and you're able to process it again and use it with um I guess, relative ease than you thought maybe 30 minutes before. And so this is a phenomenon that many people, that, you know, realize uh, when they haven't used the language in quite a while and then they are exposed to it again in a kind of an intense situation and they realize that, oh, actually, I didn't forget everything. I'm able to still communicate and, you know, process it, which is one reason why learning um, a lot of my research involves, you know, multilingualism. So not just learning one foreign language, but learning a, you know, a second foreign language and, um, my findings really strongly point to the fact that once you've learned your first foreign language, learning the subsequent ones are actually much easier. Really? It, does it matter if it's like a Latin-based language versus going to Chinese? I mean, it would, not at all. It doesn't matter at all. Mm-hmm. It's you know, and it's interesting. And a lot of people have that that idea that oh, well, of course, if you learn French, learning Spanish is going to be easy because right. they're both you know Latin-based languages and the structure is similar and you know so on and so forth, but. Um, and a lot of my research I've done, I do a lot of quantitative research, which means I collect, you know, data from hundreds of participants and use numbers. But I also do, you know, open-ended questions, which participants can write a few sentences about, you know, a certain topic that I ask. Or I do sometimes interviews where I kind of get deeper into some of the topics that I found interesting in the, in the quantitative results. And the first time I discovered this, I was doing uh, research in Brazil, and this was back in 2008, um, it was for my dissertation research, and one of my participants, I was interviewing her, and she said, well, of course, learning English is easy for me because I already speak Japanese. Oh, wow. And I thought, oh, <laughs> okay, there's something here. There's yeah. something to this, you know, this processing effect. And, you know, the same thing, I'm, you know, starting to learn Turkish. My Turkish is okay. I can, you know, talk about food and clothes mostly. Um, well, the things that are I'm important. Finding- well, well, I know things to get around. Right. right. So when I'm there, I can you know call a taxi and ask him what he had for lunch, and it's a great conversation. Um, but I'm finding that a lot of the previous language learning experiences that I've had are explicitly helping me with my Turkish knowledge in terms of pattern finding and you know jumping to conclusions, hypothesis testing. I see relations in vocabulary that maybe aren't evident, and people with 
different language backgrounds may not have the same types of, you know, inferences that I would make. But, you know, so really, to answer your question, it doesn't matter what the subsequent language is um, for most people. And some people don't see a connection or a perceived, you know, positive interaction with previous language they've studied, and they don't think it helps them. And if they don't think it helps them, then, of course, it doesn't. So you right. have to be willing to be open and see this connection. Uh, is, is Which comes first, the learning of the language? Uh, or Because I, one of the things I read um, in your article was about uh, we become more creative by doing it. We, we might mm-hmm. be a more risk-taking. So are we more a risk-taker anyway, and that's what drives us to want to learn languages? Or are we more learning languages, and that makes us risk-takers? You know, it's interesting that it's it's hard to determine causal effects with, you know, a lot of aspects of uh, applied linguistics research. And I would say that, well, first of all, a lot of people are required to take language, right, right. in school. And so the ones that perhaps continue it long term are the ones who have enjoyed the experience. But I don't think it necessarily has to do with their personality traits per se, but also about interaction with their classmates, their colleagues, the instructor, the materials used, how positive of an experience it is, and whether they're, you know, inclined to continue has a lot more to do than just their personality. I will also say that personality characteristics, we're finding out more and more that these types of characteristics, which we once thought were innate, like language aptitude, Mm -hmm. or even, you know, IQ and these types of things, there's sort of a baseline, I guess, starting point for everyone. But then those features are really quite dynamic, and they change a lot based on the context and the situation. Um, So if one maybe is more creative to begin with, a little bit more than another classmate, if that person has an awful language learning experience or, for example, has a very high level of anxiety, which isn't mitigated by the instructor, then that person might stop, even though the person might have had, you know, a higher level of creativity or, you know, tolerance for ambiguous situations to begin with than his or her classmate. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I mean, I when I was learning Spanish, um, I, I don't have anxiety, but I'm pretty highly sensitive. So I actually mm-hmm. I get feedback from people and I'm very adept at see, receiving feedback. And I remember when I would speak and I would notice that they noticed that I was kind of new at it. Um, mm-hmm. It actually shut me down because I'm like, oh, uh-huh. boy, they're noticing how not how I'm not a very good communicator here. And so it, it seems like if you didn't have that barrier um, uh-huh. of knowing of how effective you are or ineffective, you might just, you know, wing it, say more, speak more. Sure. And that has a lot to do with um, the kind of the second theme in the article I talked about, which is the tolerance of ambiguity, right? Right. So, I mean, language learning as adults, it's, it's a difficult thing to do because we're used to be able, we're used to being able to express ourselves intelligently, right? I mean, you know, we, if your English is your first language, you can have conversations about any topic you want, essentially, that you know something about, like religion or politics or, you know, the weather or whatever you want to talk about. But when you're starting to learn a second language, a lot of older learners get very discouraged because they have all these great thoughts that they want to express, either in the classroom or outside of the classroom, and they don't have the words. Mm. And so, and, and as you just said, in your experience, people might notice, oh, you're just learning or, yeah. you know, so on and so forth, which, you know, maybe makes them a little bit nervous or makes them want, kind of want to shut down. But I think the key is to just forge on right ahead and not be worried about, oh, I didn't understand that, so I'm going to freeze. Or, oh, someone noticed that my accent is different, mm-hmm. so I just 
shouldn't try anymore, you know, these types of things. Yeah, shut, and not shut down. Things, right, exactly. Those things don't matter. I mean, the way your, your accent doesn't matter. I know there's a kind of a big uh, misperception that, oh, if I just study really hard, I'm going to sound like a, quote, native speaker of mm-hmm. the target language, which, you know, as an adult, is I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's a goal that shouldn't be the main goal of a language learner. So um, adequate communication, effective communication, interacting with the target language and the target culture really should be the main goals. And just, you know, advice to any people, you know, struggling with learning a second language out there, a foreign language, just keep doing it. Keep putting yourself in situations where you have to use the language and then eventually it's going to become easier and easier and you're going to become more and more successful. It's so true. It really is. And it's, it is so powerful, and we'll talk about it after the break. When you, when you do know you're finally connecting, and you mm-hmm. and you're communicating without thinking about every word, and you're right. getting and you're mm-hmm. picking up information just naturally. It's such a powerful thing. Um, when we come back, let's continue the discussion with uh, Professor Amy Thompson, Associate Professor of um, and Linguistics Graduate Program Director. Um, at the University of South Florida. We're talking about an article she wrote, How Learning a New Language Improves Tolerance. We will put that up on our Twitter feed, at Dr. Matt Show. Stick with us. We'll continue the discussion of language. We'll be back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Do you remember being forced to take Spanish in high school or whatever language you chose? Have you been using that at all? And uh, do you think it really changed you? Well, joining us on the line is um, Amy Thompson. She's an associate professor of, uh, I believe, linguistics. She's the linguistics graduate program director at the University of South Florida she also um, wrote an article, How Learning a New Language Improves Tolerance. She re- received her Ph.D. from Columbia University um, in history. So she's been very, very busy. Amy, thank you again for being with us. Oh, you're welcome. And, and if people yeah. want more information, they can go to your website as well, right? I mean, they can go and just straight to amysthompson.com and find out more info. Yes, exactly. Um, I'm, I took that website down just recently. I'm working on it. I'm updating it. Um, but there is, I have my website on the University of South Florida, and my CV is posted there. And of course, my email address is also on the USF website. That's great. Do you think it, as educators, are we are we teaching children language um, and a second language? Are we doing it in a way that it's it's most advantageous, that, that they're actually getting these deeper levels of you know, increased creativity, tolerance, things like that. So um, as we were just talking a little bit before the break, uh, there's slowly but surely, I think language instruction, uh, and I'm talking specifically about the U.S. context, because that's the one I know the most about, is becoming updated in a way that is doing what it's supposed to do. Now, unfortunately, a lot of um, instructors who end up doing language teaching don't have training in the way to do this, and that's kind of where the big gap happens. Um, a lot of times, uh, very unfortunately, in my opinion, I think in the opinion of many other people, 
you know, you, someone might get hired because they are a native speaker of a specific language, whereas the the idea is that just because you speak a language doesn't mean that, you know, you know how to teach it or you know really enough about the structure to convey it to other people. Um, and so I think that, I mean, the key is that you really need to be teaching a language in a way that when the students leave the classroom, they're going to be able to have meaningful interactions with other people who speak this language, whether it's another non-native speaker or native speakers. Um, and so I think the answer is uh, yes and no, but I think we're moving in the right direction. Hmm. Is Because again, we and we talked about this earlier, that it's one thing to live it in the country and learn it in the country. It's another to learn it in a classroom. But you you make a point in your article that Learning a language helps you learn a culture. So how do we pick up culture and the culture of these uh, languages from just talking? Well, um, there, I mean, there's different ways. So it depends on, I guess, if, are you talking about talking like in the specific target culture situation? Or, or even in just, in a, I mean, just knowing another language also informs me about the culture, right? I mean, it sure. informs me about, mm-hmm. I mean, even the speed. I I was in Argentina. My son um, served an LDS mission in Mexico for two years. And the Mexican mm-hmm. Spanish is different than the Argentine Spanish. And the speeds are different and intonation. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot just hidden in the language. Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, just one reason why learning a new language increases your, you know, cross-cultural understanding or, you know, increases your tolerance of ambiguity is if you learn something with a different structure than your first language, you all of a sudden realize, oh, well, gosh, in English, it's subject-verb-object order, Hmm. but in other languages, the object might come first or the verb come first comes first, or, you know, like your example, Spanish, wow, sometimes you don't need an explicit subject. That's amazing. Mm. I didn't know people could talk like this, right? Or, you know, other simple things like um, in French, there's two verbs to know, like to know someone or to know information, and they have very different meanings. And so just to realize that French-speaking individuals conceptualize knowledge in a different way that English-speaking individuals might, we just know that from learning some simple verbs, which you would learn in the very first semester of your language learning. Oh, and it was humbling to me to realize that the Spanish language seems to understand the differences between love, because mm-hmm. there's so many different words for it, as opposed to the English language where I can love a burrito and I can love my wife, and I'm not yeah. always sure which mm-hmm. was different. Um, right. So it's, it, it is. It almost creates... Um, I guess that's the tolerance you're talking about, almost a humility that, boy, I there's a lot to know. Right, exactly. And what, what the, the lexical items or the vocabulary words that have been created for a specific language in a specific context, so as you mentioned, like the Spanish in Mexico is quite different from the Spanish in Argentina, which is quite different from the Spanish in Spain or Puerto Rico mm. or any of these countries. And one is not inherently better than the other. They're, they, they're just different. They've developed differently. They've had contact with different um, other languages, and they have different needs in terms of what the language needs to express. So if you live in a place where it doesn't snow, you might not have a word for snow, right? Mm, right. And you might eventually need one via the you know media and like you see snow on TV. You need something to describe that white fluffy substance which falls from the sky. But you may not have differenti- differentiating vocabulary words for snow, for example. And you might just have one generic one. Yeah. Do, do, do you feel it should be mandated? I mean, it, 
it seems like if it increases and expands our mind and if it puts us maybe in, in a more neutral position instead of a position where we believe, you know, English is the only word language and we're the only people is mm-hmm. should it be required? It, it seems like it's 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 almost as important as, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic. Well, you know, I certainly think so. Um, I, you know, I'm an applied linguist, and so this is what I've devoted my life to studying. And I, I mean, I know that, um, I mean, where I work at University of South Florida now, where I did my PhD at Michigan State, I mean, just the being able to walk up and down the hallways of my office is just incredible to be able to go from hearing, you know, Korean to Japanese to Arabic to Spanish to French to German, you know, mm. kind of like as you go door by door by door, you know, down the hallway. And I do think, I mean... You know, it's an interesting question, and, you know, I get asked this, of course, all the time about, you know, why don't Americans overall, and of course I'm making broad generalizations here, but by and large, Americans are not that interested in learning foreign languages. Um, And I think in some ways it's – we're we're relatively isolated as a country in the sense that, you know, it's it's a big mass of land that has, you know, a country bordering on the north where – parts of Canada, of course, French is the first language, and then the part, the bordering on the south where, uh, you know, Spanish is the, is the first language of the people who live there, um, you know, other than uh, indigenous languages that exist in both countries. But I just, I, I think that a lot of people don't see the need. They don't see the immediate need, let's yeah. say that, um, because, you know, in the U.S., you don't have to be bilingual to get a job, mostly, although... You know, there also has been research to say that if you are bilingual in a lot of jobs, you have a higher salary. So if you can, if you're a nurse practitioner and you're bilingual in Haitian, French, Creole and English, and let's say I'm thinking of the Tampa Bay area or Spanish and English or, the you know, two very needed languages, then you will get more money. And so there's it's not that there isn't a need. It's just that you your work and life doesn't immediately depend on it for most people. And I yeah. think. I think that's a shame, and I, I, I do wish that more people would, you know, devote time and energy to language learning. In Europe, but, you see, you do see that you you end up your 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 you know minutes or a few hours from another country with another language and another border and another culture, and there's so many of them that you know if you just travel a little bit, you're going to you're going to need it. But yeah, we're kind of I mean we're landlocked in a way in the mm-hmm. English language, but there is so much. There and I honestly just the just what it can do to your spirit to be able to understand a whole other world. Right. No, I know. And of course, there are, I mean, a large number of people who live in the U.S. Um, and English is not their first language. And um, the, the attitude is sort of, and again, unfortunately, I think, well, you know, now you're in America, you need to speak English, you need to learn English with oftentimes a little effort on um, Americans' part to try to you know learn other languages to integrate people into a specific community, um, and so you know it's just it, it's it's and it's hard. Like you said, you mentioned before, it causes a lot of people anxiety, or you know you get embarrassed or shy when mm. you're trying to express yourself in a language that you're not that comfortable with. And so it's it's certainly understandable that you know a lot of people don't have the time or energy to focus, I suppose, on this um, skill, which might, for a lot of people, uh, appear to be uh, frivolous isn't really the word I'm looking for, but, you know, not, like not 100% necessary for their day-to-day life. Yeah. You you mention a lot the phrase tolerance of ambiguity. 
Uh-huh. Um, so explain to just the lay listener that I mean, you've already mentioned it and given us ideas. What are some more ways that having a tolerance of ambiguity is beneficial to society? Because we live in a society where it seems like a lot of people argue opinions as if they're facts. Uh-huh. And um, and it's creating a lot of tension in our culture right now. Well, sure. And I mean, a tolerance of ambiguity is actually the, the two topics that I wrote about in this How Language Learning Improves Tolerance article are related. So tolerance of ambiguity also relates to tolerance of accepting and trying to understand people from different cultural backgrounds, right? Or even with different political ideologies or different religions or, you know, the list could go on and on. Just tolerating the quote in, in, in applied linguistics, there's a term, you know, the other, which means just someone who may be different from you, right? Yeah. Um, and so the idea of, I'll use a very simple, you know, example. So conversation styles. If you're, you know, if you're used to kind of the more English American conversation style, you're sitting around talking and you politely wait till the person finishes and then you insert your opinion and it kind of goes around in a nice, you know, turn-taking, calm conversation style, right? And so I vividly remember um, I did a study abroad program in France when I was in college and I went to stay with some friends a couple of weeks, some French friends a couple of weeks before my program started. And at the dinner table for the first week, I just, I was scared to say anything because it appeared that people were shouting at each other all the time. And really, it took me about a week to realize that that was just a normal kind of conversation style. And then I was able to then insert myself and jump in and, you know, disagree vehemently with what someone was saying and, you know, so on and so forth. So just the act of saying, oh, that's not, people aren't being rude by interrupting, that's just their cultural background and conversation style. And that's, you know, that's a simple example, but there are many, many like that. Um, Well, and it it broadens your mind like now. I mean, and this is, that was just France. I mean, let's not even talk about now Turkey and you're learning Mm -hmm. Turkish and let alone Mm -hmm. every other culture that we don't understand. So it almost creates a space, I guess, ambiguity of learning in my world of communication theory. It just creates a space, a learning, a space where you allow things to keep floating while you make sense of them. Yeah, sure. And I mean, you're not, you know, I think I mentioned in my article when you're talking to someone, you're not going to be able to stop them and say, wait, hang on, I don't know that word. Look it up. Let me process it. You have to just kind of make an intuitive guess and keep going. And sometimes you guess wrong and sometimes you guess Right. But you're always going to get feedback from your the person you're speaking to or in applied linguistics, you call that your interlocutor. So you're going to get feedback from this person, whether your guess was right or wrong. So if you kind of guess in one way and go in a direction, you have to be able to also watch for cues to that person, you know, maybe furrows their eyebrows to say, oops, I, I don't really know where you're going with this. And then you think, oh, maybe it meant this other thing that it could have possibly meant. Yeah. And you kind of bring the conversation back to a, a different direction. And so it's, it's exhausting, right? Um, I know that, I don't know if you experienced this when oh. you were living abroad for the first time, but man, the first time I was uh, abroad, I slept more than I yep. ever thought Headaches. was possible because, you know, my mind was processing 100% of the time when I was awake. So I just needed a lot more sleep. Yeah. I had a headache every night. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, when yeah. is this going to end? And I remember going to bed I, in my head, I would be translating nonstop and then you reach this moment where I remember dreaming in Spanish. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, 
I think I've reached the moment. Or when the headaches go away and now all of a sudden you're just getting it. You are in tune. You're dialed mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to translate yeah. in your head. But then a, mo- a word would come up and you'd write the word down. i got to remember that one. What was that? Sure. It's cool. Yeah, absolutely. It's really neat. Um, what would you – so just as a parent, we've got about a minute left. What mm-hmm. What would you – how would you, you know, engage your kids to be more excited about learning a language? Well, you know, I think um, – I'll give you an example of what my husband tells me about his process of learning English when he was younger. Um, he loved it. He, you know, he grew up in Turkey and, of course, you know, Turkish is his first language. Mm. And but he did Saturday classes of English learning, and he said it was like the best day of his week. And he he talked a lot about the language teacher that he had, where the the teacher didn't you know didn't have a stressful environment, encouraged students to speak, did games and songs. He said looking back, he doesn't remember it as a class, hmm. but then he realized he learned. So I think the key is to keep it fun, especially at a very young age, right? Because kids yeah. need to play. They need to interact. They need to have fun and giggle and, you know, laugh and, you know, do these things that kids are supposed to do. They're not supposed to, you know, on after school or on Saturdays, sit at a desk and, like, write verbs. I mean, that's not, yeah. you know, the Conjugate, way con- Yeah, oh, I hated right. that. You know, verb charts. I mean, that's, I think we all have negative flashbacks to those situations, which are they're important in the yeah. verbs, but not maybe in verb charts. But anyway, I guess keep it fun and keep it light and, you know, keep, you know, maybe focusing on the cultural aspects and the music and the art and the food and, you know, these types of things to really not just get kids, but to get all people kind of interested um, to know what learning a second or foreign language can do for them once they're out of a classroom setting. Love it. And get immersed. Get into it. Uh, Professor Amy Thompson, thank you again for joining us. We so appreciate your insight. Uh, Amy Thompson is Associate Professor of Linguistics at the University of South Florida and uh, wrote a wonderful article that we'll be putting up on our uh, Twitter page, How Learning a New Language Improves Tolerance. Great learning for all of us. Stick with us, folks. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, it really, I love this idea of language. Um, Here at BYU, we have one of the biggest language learning centers around, teaching, I think, hundreds of languages. And it's, there's something about it, folks. You can't know something that you don't try to learn, right? You've got to work at it. And having learned a language, I do think it makes me more attuned to the fact of what I don't know. I can only imagine if I went and learned a third language now, what that would do to me. Um, Thomas Merton um, wrote this wonderful quote, love is our true destiny. We do not find the meaning of life by ourselves alone. We find it with another. And the meaning of life is found with another human being, right? And there's so many other views if you have, uh, it's you know we have these stories about the refugees. They're coming and they're going to destroy America. And what would happen if you actually went and learned their language? What would happen if you actually went and had a meal with them and communicated and talked? You might actually find out more about who you are. Don't put up the barrier if you don't understand the people, and don't assume that they're all bad. Just a little coaching moment for you. We'll take a break. We'll be back helping you see the good in the world and be the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. 
This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Happy Friday to you. It's Friday, which means it's the day, two days before the day of rest. It's the pre-pre-day of rest. Nice. Trying to, Things to look forward to. Yeah. Trying to help you find the happy times of the day. It's also, by the way, National Take Down the Christmas Tree Day. Which means the trees have got to come down at some point. And some rules are, you know, if the tree is brown, it's coming down. Right? If your tree is dying and, the, and all the needles, if you have a pile of needles... Around on your, uh, you know, on top of your little Christmas tree skirt, I think they call it. Yeah. So, what if we have a fake tree and it's still green? Can we keep it up? No. If it, just, if you have a fake tree, you know, just put it in a bag. Christmas is done. Get it down. It's now for the doldrums of the winter. Where it's... so if it's brown, if you got needles piling up, if it's flocked. If it's with bra- blue lights, get rid of it. If it's brown, take it down. If it's fake, you must forsake. If it's flocked, what a crock. I'm not into flock trees. No, that's a mess. Except, interestingly, right now in the state of Utah, most of the trees look flocked. Know what I mean? But the blue lights, not, not a normal thing either. Not, I'm not critiquing your tree. But if you have a, blue, a tree with blue lights, just blue lights, a white flock tree with blue lights, that's not what Santa wanted. Just shooting straight with you. And sing uh, the German Christmas song while you take it down. Tannenbaum. If, if you don't take it down in Germany, you don't want to know what they do to you there. Oh, boy. Yeah. Thank heavens we don't know. Um, we've got a, a lot to do today. We will be talking about... Everything from um, a really, I think, cool cop that pulls a guy over and then goes above and beyond to help him get to a meeting he needed to get to. Right. Pretty cool. We'll get to that. Plus, um, also, of course, a kickboxing instructor that, um, you know. Was a little too active for his own good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he should have. It seemed like he had been injured, or injured, yeah. unable to work for many years, but instead was teaching kickboxing. Whoops. We're going to try to give you some information of, of how not to be arrested. Or and how find... not to be on workers' compensation. Yeah. <laughs> Don't cheat workers' comp. We'll get to all that fun, of course. Plus, we'll be talking about uh, college grads and jobs. Um, what are the best jobs out there for millennials? I was reading a list of top 25 jobs. Found Do- out Dog walker. It's interesting. I'm not qualified for any of the top 25 jobs. Yeah. I mean, I am, but I'm not really. Right. So. You're overqualified. Not really. He's. Hmm. Not even in the ballpark. Yeah, no. Like the top job, I think, is an app developer or something. Yeah. Whoa. You have to know multiple coded. (laughs) Yeah. Last hour we talked about languages, but we didn't talk about coding and computer language. Right. (sighs) Like an app developer for, for Apple? For anywhere. Oh, boy. Here we go again. He just loves that apple sound. (sighs) We'll get to all that fun. But first, 
to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? President Obama has condemned the despicable Chicago torture attack this week in which four black, young black people were shown torturing a mentally disabled white man and yelling obscenities about race and Donald Trump. Obama expressed alarm at the footage, which was broadcast live on Facebook, uh, calling it a horrific hate crime. Police said all four have admitted to their roles in the six-hour attack. Wow. Yeah, I was reading that. Six hours. I'm not sure if the whole thing was streamed on Facebook. So was the guy a Trump supporter, or was it just because he's white, so therefore no, I, he's they they supported Trump? None mm. of that's come out yet, so we'll see. <laughs> U.S. intelligence agencies have identified which Russian officials provided hacked Democratic National Committee emails to WikiLeaks, according to a new Reuters report. Senior U.S. officials told reporters the CIA has determined who gave the documents to Julian Assange's organization at the request of Russian President Vladimir Putin. Those parties, however, have not been publicly named. The Russian government indicated an initial plan to discredit the U.S. election process into a full-fledged attempt to aid President-elect Donald Trump. Hmm. Obama was informed Thursday at at an intelligence assessment that was also being presented to Donald Trump this morning. So it went from just let's cause some problems to let's focus just getting him into office, according to this report. Wow. And they're saying they're unnamed officials. I bet you someone named Boris is involved. Just saying. <laughs> yeah. Former CIA Director James R. James Woolsey Jr. resigned from President-elect Donald Trump's transition team Thursday, reportedly because of tensions over Trump's plan for U.S. intelligence intelligence agencies. Effective immediately, Ambassador Woolsey is no longer a senior advisor to President-elect Trump or the transition. He wishes the President-elect and his administration great success in their time in office. Uh, spokesman for Woosley said in a statement that uh, it went on in the Washington Post reports Woosley felt he had been excluded from discussions on intelligence matters with Trump and retired Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, who's set to be his national security advisor. He felt he was ah. out of the loop, so he left. Yeah. Just, Allegedly. Just out of the loop. And finally, after pausing his other seasonal businesses of shipping fall leaves from New England to the less autumnally endowed states Mm. so there's a service where you can get fall leaves if you don't have fall leaves wow yeah uh entrepreneurial kyle waring has been busy shipping boxes of snow across the country just in time for the holidays (laughs) so far he has sold over 2,500 pounds more than a metric ton of snow for his side business his side business is called ship snow yo He sounds really cool. After uh, 20, there was a nor'easter in Boston in 2015, he realized there was a ton of snow. Oh, that and was so the guy that did that. He the, started shipping yeah. snow in water bottles. It's kind of a joke, he said. And uh, he goes, something you sent your friend in Florida who can't keep from bragging about how much sunshine there is, so you sent him a bottle of snow. Well, <laughs> all of a sudden it turned into a business for him, and yeah. now he's shipping snow for about $79 a box across the country. Really? says, to make sure the snow does not arrive at the destination of his water, after some testing, he uh, ships the snow in two and heavy two-inch thick styrofoam cooler and overnights the box via FedEx where it can last from 36 to 70 or 36 to 72 degrees, right? He goes, yeah. it, it does melt. It is snow, but you, by the time it ra- arrives, there is some for you to uh, – it says 90% of its contents is still solid, and it, in two days, it's around 70%. That is... So there is some meltage, but... Oh, yeah. Customers can choose from 10-plus pounds for $69, 10-plus pound snowman, $79, 20-plus wow. pound on sale for 119 and it goes on from there. Shouldn't you, Maybe you just de-ice your freezer. Then you can have your own snow. <laughs> but it's not like know? real snow. 
Oh, brother. Now, it costs... That's a smart says, idea, though. A 20-pound box to China will run you around $350. So if you're ordering a snowman, is it going to be a square snowman? I don't know. It's in a cooler, right? <laughs> Styrofoam cooler. That is crazy. But but I'm so, telling you, you can make money. Yo. Yo. <laughs> Snow. <laughs> hey, have you guys ever played the game Speak Out? No. Speak Out. That sounds Speak cool. Is that the Ellen DeGeneres game? Uh, yeah, where you put those things in your mouth, the dental, oh, no, the no, dental no, 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 no. things. No, oh, she wow. has a, f- a game you put the phone on your head. And, oh, no. No. This is the one where you put those dental spreader, I don't know what they call them, those yeah. things you put in your mouth and it opens up your mouth. Yeah. Right. And then you're supposed to talk. Hmm. So there's a great video we'll put up on our Twitter feed about um, a grandpa played this game with his kids, his grandkids. Uh-oh. And uh, as he was playing, his dentures popped out and he just started laughing so hard that they shot out of his mouth, terrifying the children, of course. Wow. And then there's that awkward moment about when, you know, anytime anybody's dentures fly out of their mouth and land on the ground, do you pick them up for them? Yeah, you don't want to touch that. But you also don't want to, I mean, you don't want to leave them just hanging there with their dentures on the ground. You get a paper towel and you use it kind of like a glove mm. and hope that it's not been yeah. used already to wipe somebody's mouth See, down. See, I grew up with, you know, grandparents that had dentures. My kids, if, if somebody's teeth all of a sudden fell out of their mouth, my kids would not know what that is. They would, that would freak them out. Or you just do what Dennis the Menace did and replace the broken ones with chiclets. Oh, yeah. Mm. That kid. That would be refreshing. That kid. Mm, minty teeth. Hey, we told you earlier about a cop we want we to celebrate. So cops sometimes get a bad name, right? A bad rap. But there is a really cool cop out of Wisconsin, police officer, who stopped a speeding college student who was late for a presentation. And this cop ended up tying his necktie for him. Apparently, uh, this is all captured on the dash cam on November 30th, a typical traffic stop, and it's now been shared on Facebook. The video shows Officer Martin Fulchik pulling up behind a University of Wisconsin uh, stout student in a parking lot. The student explained that he was speeding because he was late to give a presentation and he's trying to find a friend that can tie his necktie. Hmm. You know what I mean? Have you ever been in that moment where you, I need someone to tie my tie? Hasn't this kid heard of YouTube? I know, totally. Hmm, sounds like a scam to me. Yeah, uh, Fulchik asked for the tie and made a knot for the student. He even adjusted it after the student put it on. The officer then sent the student on his way with a warning to slow down. You think it's a? You think it was a ruse? You think he, this kid was just playing the cop? You're talking about millennials. This kid, there's no way he doesn't know about YouTube. No, but what it might be is that he just knew that, hey, Jim's down the hall. I'm going to go talk to Jim. Jim will tie my tie. Jim wasn't there. Oh, maybe Bill. Bill's not there. Oh, Jim's over at the quad. I'm going to drive over to the quad. Can't find Jim. Speeding around. No Jim. And then he, you know, by that time he's thinking Jim's the tie expert. I do think it's real, though, because I, uh, I don't think millennials are that creative. To come up with that yeah. specific of an excuse. But now that now you know, if you're wearing a tie and a mm. cop's pulling you over, undo that tie for heaven's sakes. And if he says, why were you speeding? I'm on my way to a job interview trying to find someone to tie my tie. And what if the officer's like, well, I don't know how to do that. But mm. uh, this ticket's going to cost you about 300 bucks. So hopefully uh, that job works out. <laughs> yeah, good luck with you. Uh, kickbox instructor admits teaching classes while getting workers' comp. 
A New York man pled guilty to collecting more than $37,000 in workers' compensation benefits while working as a kickboxing instructor. Was this uh, the kid from Karate Kid? No, nope, think a different guy. I mean, that's uh, that's a whole different level. Was this Jean-Claude Van Damme? Nope, it was, he U- was, a it was Eugene Reams. 49-year-old oh. Eugene Reams. Claimed to have been injured while working as a lineman for Verizon in 2007. He began receiving benefits based on those injuries. And according to the investigation by the Inspector General's office, uh, it, they, they found out later that... Um, his kids started a kickboxing – his kids and his wife started a kickboxing company in 2012, and he's been working for them since 2012. So I'm confused. Why does – does Verizon own a football team? No. He worked no, he for them a, as a lineman? A lineman. He, they run the lines at Verizon. So on the Verizon network, they probably have Verizon-owned phone lines, and he would be the guy that would – he's hmm. a lineman. He puts the lines up. Michael. I'm sure Verizon has some sort of ties to the NFL. I'm sure. They own stadiums and mm. stuff, probably. So he's an ex-football player. Uh, yeah, no, he's a kickboxer. But he's now going to owe $37,000 in restitution because you can't claim compensation for um, for workers' comp if you are actually able to go do kickboxing classes. So he had you – know, he was lying. Lie, what have we taught you? What have we taught you? Where do liars go? They uh, they go work at Verizon. <laughs> no, Verizon has nothing to do with this. They go to the library. Oh, I, I just nice. I learned that joke a few years ago, and I can't stop telling mm-hmm. it. It's my only joke I've got. Hey, witnesses say men wearing Trump masks duked it out in a Lowe's hardware store. I'd like to punch him in the face. I'll tell you. Here's some audio. You know, here's the crazy story. Two masked men, looking like Donald Trump, started boxing each other in a Virginia Lowe's store. Bing, bing, bing. (laughs) Uh, This all took place on New Year's Eve. Officers were summoned to the store Saturday afternoon because of a disorderly display that scared customers. 59-year-old witness Michael Willis told the newspaper he saw the men hitting each other while yelling, Donald Trump, Donald Trump. So very similar to this torture video, inexplicably yelling Donald Trump's name. Yeah, what is going on? The men fell, knocked down merchandise in the process. But while the young men uh, returned later, one of them had to come back later to get his keys. He had his keys knocked out of him. I have a feeling this is two high school kids just going Trump, going crazy. Two Trump fans, by the way. So were they really fighting? Yeah, they were duking it out. Well, they had, I think they had boxing gloves on. They were but, boxing. I mean, did they really have beef with each other? Or? No. No. I think it was a dare. My kids do games like this all the time. This was locker room talk. Certainly I'm not proud of it, but this is locker room talk. Yeah, just some locker, this is locker room, room talk. talk. Just locker room talk. Hmm. It, uh, my, my kids are like, they'll do a contest where someone has to go in the store and stand on a chair and sing a song. Hmm. And then if they do it, they'll do it as dates. They did it at a dance. And they had like 20 dares that they had to do. So I'm not as much a fan of that as I was in high school. But one thing I did on a date was we went to a thrift store 
And I chose out an outfit for my date to wear, and she chose an outfit for me to wear. Oh, wow. And uh, Did you do the Princess Leia outfit? No. Good. What I chose for her was pretty embarrassing, though. Oh, wow. Do you want to share? Can you share? Oh, it's it was all appropriate, but after what I saw, after I saw what she brought back for me, I was like, oh, I'm I'm way too cruel. Yeah, she just brought you some nice suit. <laughs> You're gonna be some millionaire. Hers was like some neon vest and some <laughs> clown wig or something like yeah. that. So and she's hunting clowns. She's, she's Bob the Clowny Hunter. Bob the Clowny Hunter, one of our greatest sponsors. In fact, we'll take a break and let's take a break. If you can, you find Bob. Is he available? Yeah, I think of yeah. We will take a break listening to Bob the Clowny Hunter. When we come back, we're going to be talking about college grads and jobs. Stick with us. Hi, I'm Bob, and I used to be a clown for birthday parties, corporate events, and political conventions. But now I track down dangerous clowns and apprehend them for a living. Here's a sneak peek at my new show, Bob the Clowny Hunter. I'm the Bob, the big bad Bob, the Clowny Hunter. Okay, rule number one in clown hunting, you got to make sure you don't come off as a threat. That way you can get close to them without them suspecting a thing. That's why I dress like one of their own when I'm working. I've got my flower water squirter thing, I've got my big red nose, as well as my squeaky shoes. Let's go catch us a clown. Okay, our first clown is a real scumbag. He's been freaking out tourists, getting in their faces, and making rude hand gestures. Oh, oh, there he is. That's weird. My clown outfit is different than any I've ever seen. Whatever, these guys are getting sicker and more twisted every day. Let's go get him. Excuse me, are you Pierre? You are? Well then. You're under arrest. Hey, 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 what are you doing? Why are you pretending to run away in a windstorm? What are you doing with your hands? Pierre, if you don't settle down, I'm going to have to pepper spray you in the face. Pierre, put down that imaginary gun. That's it. You're coming with me, you slime. Uh, Okay, so it uh, turns out that Pierre was actually a mime, so uh, that was my bad. Uh, But my lawyers have just informed me that mimes are a kind of a clown, so, uh, clown cops. Be sure to check out my new show, Bob the Clowny Hunter. I'm the Bob, the big bad Bob, the Clowny Hunter. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, uh, it's one thing to get a college degree. We hear about what an impact that has uh, on your ability to earn money, your just your sense of well-being and the real-life well-being that can take place because of your education, except then you got to get a job, right? So it's one thing to have the degree. It's another thing to get the job. We wanted to talk today about where these jobs are coming from. Uh, where do you need to live to get a good job if you're just leaving college? And you got to do you have to be willing to travel? Do you have to be willing to move in order to make it happen? And college graduates, they're going to be walking away with some student debt, usually more debt probably than uh, than even their parents had going into that. 
So we've asked Michael Betts to join us. He's an assistant professor of human development and family science at The Ohio State University. He's here with us this morning to talk a little bit about uh, where today's college grads are going to find their jobs and how we can help them be more successful. Uh, Dr. Betts, thank you so much for being with us. Yeah. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me on the show. Great to have you. Talk to us about what you're learning in all of your work and research. Why why is it so important? I mean, it seemed like there's going to be jobs in most of the country, isn't there? Or is that just an illusion today? Yeah, there's uh, it's it's definitely changing. That's for sure. There's been a lot of industry restructuring. Uh, different industries are growing. Um, other industries are declining. Manufacturing sector, for example, there's more uh, retail and uh, more local service jobs that are becoming more and more available. Um, and what we see a little bit is a little bit of a, a split in the labor market where you have kind of these uh, two groups of people where you have really highly educated, college-educated workers um, whose unemployment rates are really low and there's lots of well-paying jobs. Uh, and on the other end of the spectrum, there's those who maybe only have a, college, or a high school degree and their job prospects are, are much more limited to uh, service sector jobs that might not be as well-paying. And um, But the, I guess, uh, you know, one of the things that, that has changed is uh, the, the availability of jobs within a local region. So, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago, you might have had to move uh, to get a job that suits your skills. Right. You would go to wherever the, the jobs were. Um, and because the, the labor market has changed towards more service-oriented jobs, uh, those jobs are located all across the country. And so what we see is that actually internal migration rates of people moving within the United States is declining pretty pretty dramatically hmm. in the lowest levels of internal migration uh, in over 50 years in the United States right now. And, and your so, research talked about the 90s, which is when I graduated. Mm-hmm. So back then, if I, I graduated with a degree in journalism, if I wanted to be a journalist, I pretty much had to move out of my state and go mm-hmm. where the job was. And you're saying today there's less of that going on? Yeah, and um, I don't know, maybe your and I's professions aren't the, the best examples. Um, being a professor, it's still the case. Where, yeah, you're still going to move. Yeah, you're still going to move. So this isn't across the board, but in general, um, the jobs that people are getting now uh, they're located in, in lots of different areas because they're more service-based. Hmm. Service-based as opposed to uh, something that's like tradable, where you're manufacturing something and exporting it somewhere else. You would have to go to wherever that industry was located. And lots of industries usually have hubs or clusters. Um, and so, you know, if you were in the, the automotive industry, you're moving to Detroit. Right. Um, well, today's jobs are more service-based, and so um, their customers are local. And they might be local, they might be global, but right. basically they can provide that service. Yeah, you could be a regional rep, 
and rep something in your area for a company from Ohio or Detroit or, you know, the automotive, you know, belt. Yeah, absolutely. And even things like IT jobs where, where you know, now you can remotely access uh, what's going on somewhere halfway across the world. And uh, so th- these these service jobs, you, you don't have to move for them. And so there's a, there's a lot more of them. And so that's that's part of what's going on with the in, the decline in internal migration. Um, but this is something that economists have just recently started to look at. Um, and so there are kind of more questions than answers right now. Well, so wouldn't that mean that a lot of these students, these grads, would stay maybe in smaller communities, smaller towns, but but they are, they also, I guess, may not be – are they as drawn to stay there? Or do they want mm-hmm. to get to the big cities where there's, you know, the arts and all of these other things that college grads may want? Yeah, so there's another trend that's going on uh, with the decline in, in migration and the increase in service jobs is um, that the labor market is not nearly as robust as it was in the 90s, where we basically had full employment and really high wages. Um, in the 2000s, the first decade of the 2000s, we had two recessions, one of which was the, the Great Recession, the, one of the largest economic shocks in the last century. And... Um, so there's a lot more volatility in labor markets. And what we found was that where in the 90s college grads might be going to places where other college grads that were fast-growing or had fast-growing industries, um, they're going to places with that are bigger cities with higher populations. And that matters for a couple of reasons. So you think about bigger cities, they, they offer – different things for workers, but one of the main things you're looking at if if you're looking for a job, and that's the most important thing uh, to you as a new college graduate, is that you're going to have a lot more opportunities in a bigger city to match your skills with an employer who's looking for your skills. So, you know, if you're on the furthest end, New York City, uh, there's lots of people that are looking for highly specialized people with a highly specialized skill set. Um, you know, you take that same skill set and move to somewhere in North Dakota, uh, there might not be any jobs for you there. Hmm. So um, that that's kind of the, the primary finding uh, in, in this research study was that you know, we we don't have evidence to say that it is it is from the labor markets um, in the, the 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 volatility in labor markets, but what we find is that college graduates are moving to places that have higher populations, so bigger cities, um, because these cities might provide a little bit more of a buffer for people in uncertain economic times. Yeah. These recessions, I guess, it's it's really it's fascinating because we've we've created systems and the markets have changed in a way that internal migration isn't as necessary. You don't need to you don't need to leave, but then the economy hits, and for the young or the new college grad, um, if they want to have the highest likelihood of finding work that's and and a culture and an environment they like, they might feel compelled to go to the big city. Yeah, that's right. And there there have been some studies that have looked at kind of the other side of the coin where 
so we we looked at places and we were interested in the question of okay what places are attracting college graduates but you can kind of look at the same question a very similar question it's kind of the two sides of the same coin of looking at okay where uh, what are college graduates moving for? So you're looking at the individual level, the individual college graduates and saying, okay, what traits um, are they looking for in a place? And there's been some research that has found that that jobs are still the most important things for college graduates. Mm. So uh, other considerations like what types of amenities that city offers, you know, what's going on there, the, the cultural scene, um, distance to uh, recreation, things like oceans and mountains and things like that. Those are important, but uh, jobs still kind of trump everything else when yeah. it comes to what college graduates are looking for. Well, and it, it's interesting for parents, isn't it? Because as a parent, if, if so, I was from the 90s, and my view of how you get a job and keep a job seems so different from my children. Yeah. But I might apply pressure on them like, well, you better stay near us or whatever, and I want to raise my grandkids. Um, yeah. that That's going to create – so I guess part of this is understanding the impact – on your children, if they live in a you know a midwestern inner, I mean a tiny city in the Midwest or a tiny town or community in the Midwest, they may not be able or may not want to stick around. Yeah, you know that's right. So you have it, it kind of works both ways. Um, so we we are we do live in an increasingly urbanized world. So more and more people are living near cities, maybe not in central cities, right. but. Uh, you know, suburbs and metro areas. And so, you know, those are functional labor markets. And if you're within those metro areas, then, um, you know, because more and more people are living in those metro areas, we and the fact that the labor market is more service-based, we people might be in a better situation because, okay, they're already in a metro area, and uh, they can find a job in their area of expertise that this might actually be really beneficial um, because there's a lot of kind of non-economic things like uh, child care, for example, from your parents or just having those relationships to be able to maintain those family relationships. Um, those, those are really big factors in why people move and deciding whether or not uh, they're going to move. But, I mean, you make a great point. A generation ago, that wasn't the case. No. Where, um, you know, we not, not that people didn't value those things, but the, the labor market was different where you did have to move. And because jobs were still the, the biggest thing in people's minds, they would make that sacrifice. Yeah. And, um, now, you know, so because we have an increasingly urbanized population and people are living more and more in metro areas uh, that they can get jobs where they live and still keep those family connections. Yeah. I can tell you, you know, from just anecdotally, my, my wife and I, both of our families live in the town that we live in. Um, and just the, the benefit of having them around oh, yeah. out there and things like that, it's, 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 it's huge. incredible. I agree, Michael. And um, let's, uh, let's take a break. We'll come back and talk about that. But parents, be understanding it's not the world you lived in. And if you notice that your kids can't get a job after college, it might simply be it's time to move. They might need to go look somewhere else. 
um, if it's not happening where they are. We'll take a break. More with Dr. Michael Betts when we come back. You know, college graduates of the new millennium, they're living at a different time, folks, than we did uh, maybe when we were back getting a job. So because of that, they have different options for working. Um, They may not need to leave because they could possibly find a job in their area, or they may want to go uh, where the jobs are in some of the metro areas or bigger cities. Joining us is Dr. Michael Betts. He is a, a professor, assistant professor in the Department of Human Sciences at uh, Ohio State University, and his expertise is in regional and rural urban economics. He's here today to talk about some of the drivers um, that that are pushing our our grads, our, our uh, college grads, um, to to choose the jobs and the locations where where they're moving. We appreciate you being back with us. Thank you, Doctor Betts. Oh, no problem. Glad to be here. What's uh, so as a parent? I mean, I do. I need to make sure that I understand my economy isn't their economy. My options yeah. weren't their options. What else can I do to make sure that uh, that I, I'm? I guess I'm helping. I'm aiding. I'm I'm educating my child into the best way to go find a job once they graduate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, well, I mean, that's a that's a good question. Um, I think one of the things is when we think about these questions as economists, we kind of model them. And, um, you know, one of the things we say is that people vote with their feet. And, uh, you know, we look at the person, the individual, and and they have to make that decision. Am I going to move or am I not going to move? And they have to factor everything into that equation. So thinking about, you know, stuff like uh, jobs, which are obviously highly important, um, but thinking about things that maybe don't necessarily have um, a specific monetary value, like having family nearby um, or having long-term friendships and relationships, those are all things that factor into that um, equation. And so just kind of sitting down and, and thinking about those things and deciding, okay, do I, where I live right now, uh, is that going to be the best place for me or, you know, is this city down the road here, uh, going to offer something different? And that's a, that's a little bit of a tricky uh, equation. Um, one of the, the good things that has happened over the last 20 years is just the availability of information. Um, and that is, is probably a driving force in the internal migration discussion there where, you know, if you're considering a move 40 years ago, you would have to drive there, hang out for maybe a weekend, and then make a decision based on that information. Right. Um, now, you know, you can just hop online and you can find out the employment rate and uh, average wages of people in your industry there, how much rent is. Uh, those are all considerations. So. It's so true. It's such a different age. And it it also the the way you can communicate 
you know, with your family, if you do live out of state, it's completely different. FaceTiming, Skyping, um, it's it's a different world, except, too, I guess, there's still the same push of economic stability and, you know, you you want a career. You want something, especially somebody that has been studying in a specific area or a targeted area. Would right. you would you say that uh, is this I guess the the uh, the technology advancements are it's helping smaller economies, right? These smaller towns now you you can work at a call center and work from your home from a small town, I guess. Mhm. Yeah, um that that has definitely uh helped s- smaller towns and some smaller areas survive that wouldn't have been able to without those advancements in technology. One of the key things though um, and this is not going to be a surprise to any of your listeners that, uh, you know, over the last 70 years in general, the the main driver of migration just in general, not only college graduates, has been weather. And so moving to nice places, moving to the Sun Belt. So people are moving west and they're moving um, to uh, these warmer climates. And yeah, there is there is some availability where you can find jobs uh, in smaller towns, but you know the reality is is you know that is one of the things that has to go into you, your decision when you're thinking about these things is in these smaller towns. Um, it's just the nature of a smaller town. Right. There's not going to be as many labor market opportunities. So if you lose your job and you have to look for another job, or if something else happens, um, you might there's there's a little bit of higher risk there than living in a city where you lose your job in a city. There's there's probably a few other opportunities out there for you immediately. We, so it's just a part of the equation that you have to take into consideration. And different people uh, are more comfortable risk, with risk, and right. so different people make different decisions. We see that um, you know there's there's some other discussion about maybe having better tech options for tech you know for for more technical uh trainings versus universities and getting college degrees is mm-hmm. is it the same do you, is the data showing the same uh mobility for people that have technical skills that maybe you know how to fix engines on an airplane or is that one that you're still going to have to pretty much move to where you're specialized and where the specialties exist yeah so um you know, off the top of my head, that's not something that I've done a lot of research on and just that specifically that middle group. But what I can say is that education levels, any additional education is, is going to be really beneficial for anyone out there looking for a job. The unemployment rates and the wage differentials of just getting an associate's degree or having some college are, are really large and, and substantial. So... Um, you know, like I kind of talked about at the beginning of the, the the segment here, that there's kind of this split of the labor market where it's increasingly concentrated into really well high-paying jobs and um, low-paying jobs for people that only might have a high school degree. Um, and that that split is just going to continue. But there is a there is a place you know even for just getting an associate's degree or some education beyond uh, high school really makes a big difference in lifetime earnings and uh, unemployment rates and things like that. Mm. So those types of things are 
are valuable. You don't have to if if you feel like college isn't the the right thing for you. Uh, it is still really important to get some kind of training to increase your skills beyond high school degree. With yeah. just a high school degree, there's there's not a lot of good jobs out there. Yeah, it's going to elevate anyway. Yeah. Um, and then I guess uh, when you think about it. As a, as a college student, um, I see a lot of them here at Brigham Young University, mm-hmm. and in the end, so many of them seem a little disparaged, hopeless, because they're they're not even sure they can get a job in their field, and they worry yeah. that. So, is it more about choosing a field that's more marketable? Is it more about just being adaptable? How do you how do you make sure the college degree brings you some revenue yeah right i mean that's a great question um you know personal experience my younger sister has a degree in nutrition and she's working uh in finance right now so (laughs) i think it is a little bit more of the latter is that uh what you said of being a little bit more flexible uh and one of the things that's happening is that people are working longer and so right. you have these more experienced workers that are holding on to their jobs longer. And so it's harder to get those entry-level jobs as a new college graduate. But what I would say is that if you're, you're persistent, there, there are opportunities out there. And um, that there, there is also a, a large, you know, the boomer generation is retiring as well. And so those jobs are going to become increasingly available. And the, if, but it it is important to to think about you know which industries are growing and which industries are declining and in different industries are subject to um, you know different market forces. Uh, for instance, I do a lot of a lot of the other work that I do is in looking at communities that uh, have natural resource extraction. And so the shale boom, right? Um, you know, right now oil is is busting and prices are really low, and so. If you're a petroleum engineer, a couple of years ago, life was was fantastic. Yeah, fat and happy. Yeah, exactly. And um, and that and went to the little that that was going to the smaller communities as well, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Most of the shale development that was occurring was in smaller, more rural communities. Yeah. So. Well, Michael, we appreciate you. Great insight. Keep up your work there. Wonderful work at the Ohio State University in the Department of Human Sciences. We will take a break, my friends. When we come back, we're going to give you some tips on how to manage your computers. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, we were talking uh, in before the interview about jobs and some of the best jobs. One of the best jobs, by the way, is an app developer. But our boss, Don, was driving in and he heard – he misheard what we said. He thought we said a nap developer because he said he could kill that. Yeah, he is a good napper. He's also yeah. the real napster. He is a napper and the napster. But he's not wearing a nappy. A little uh, English humor there. thought we'd throw that in there. Hey, joining us now – and not making us sleep. Uh, Caitlin Thomas is here. Caitlin is going to be talking about with us this morning about the 2016 movies that, uh, you know, flopped. 
the ones that maybe were on the worst list. Yeah. Kind of the naughty list, the ones that shouldn't have been made. The, uh, there were a lot of movies that came out last year. Yeah. And a lot of good ones got a lot of attention. What was your favorite movie? Um, I don't know. I mean, The Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them came out. Mm. I saw Hacksaw Ridge, which came out, and that yeah. one was really good. Um, it was a good year of movies. It was but, a good movie year. But in a good year of movies, there's always some bad. Okay. So enlighten us. I mean, it seems like some movies would be more popular than they than they actually ended up being. Yeah. In some of these, it's not even that they were bad movies. They just didn't get people to the theater. Whether it was deliver. a bad release time or yeah. something. The first one was called The Finest Hours. Oh, that was a good movie. It was, yeah. It was, it was Disney. I think it's called Sleep. Chris Pine was in Those it. Those the it? finest I never hours. saw it. <laughs> Was it good? It's I don't a great know. movie. They lost seventy-five million dollars. See, but so this isn't the worst movie. This is the worst box office. Yeah, box failure. office failure. Biggest box office. So failure. like, I don't know. Was it good? I never it was saw a great it. Movie. But Chris Pine was in it. Could have been bad. They saved all these people on a. It's boat. A tr- based on a true well, story. Well, right? now I know. I don't need to go see it. Well, I mean, some people died. Oh. Yeah. And there was carnage. Yeah, it's Disney though, so it can't be that. And bloody. there was a romance in there somewhere. I think. Yeah. I'm sure it's Disney. Chris Pine. Who's gonna have one of those? So, unfortunately, that one flopped. They lost $75 million oh, on that one. Um, the next one was The Huntsman Winter's War. Yeah. I didn't even realize that one came out last year. That's this is a different ago. Chris. Chris. No, it's no, Chris. No, no. He- no, 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 no. Yeah. L- oh, yeah. Oh. This is Hemsworth. Hemsworth. Is, um, this is another Snow White? Yeah. So, remember they made The Huntsman? Yeah. And then this one was like a sequel. It's like The Huntsman Winter's War. It's like the background story on the evil queen. Okay. And so, it, no know, Snow White. There's no Snow White in this, and the Huntsman has a different romantic interest. I'm not really sure what goes wow. on. I never saw it, that but they a lost, you know, 75 plus million on that one. Mm. I just heard it wasn't that great. Good I, cast, though. I it's interesting. I haven't seen it. Something about the Chris's. I don't know. Hmm. It was unfortunate because they're both really good looking. So <laughs> maybe that's the problem. The third one that I that a problem. People aren't after looks. Oh, that's not true. That's a lie. People that's, aren't that's too uh, shallow. Yeah, people aren't shallow enough. Uh, the next one was one that I would always see a preview for, and I was like, that would be a movie that my dad would see. It was the Gods of Egypt Ooh, movie. Yeah. And uh, that didn't, one... Didn't do so well? No. It had a price tag of $140 million, but it only pulled in more than, like, $31 million <gasps> here in the U.S. It only made $31 million? In the U.S., That's but expensive. it did better overseas, which, not shocking. So um, people aren't shallow it, enough, and they're not religious enough either. Yeah. And uh, it brought it to a worldwide total of $150 million, but in the U.S. it just kind of... Man, I don't even remember hearing about Gods of Egypt. It had that, what's his name, Christian, Gerard... Christian Bale. There's another Chris. <gasps> uh, did that have Christian Bale? There's yes, it the, did. There's he the played three. Moses, didn't uh, he? I don't know. I know it's... there was a Gerard Butler. Is that oh, maybe we're talking about a different movie. Gerard. Gods of Egypt. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Um, and then here was one that I really wanted to see, and I'm sad that it flopped because... Even the guy writing this article said it was a good movie. It just didn't bring in people. The BFG. It's good. Did you see it? I saw it. It's really it good. Had, it lost $100 million. Oh, that's sad. It's I a know. great, it's a great. I just think I just think it came out at a bad time. Like it was released yeah. around a time that a lot of people were seeing other movies and they didn't advertise it a ton. I didn't even know what came out. Well, yeah. People don't usually go to movies that they don't know about. And so I don't think they understood what the acronym stood right. for. Well, didn't you? Yeah. yeah you, you thought have to read BFG, the book. but then you ended up just showing up at KFC. Yeah. Yeah, it was a hard I mean, day. It just made me hungry. Right. Yeah. 
I mean, I read the book when I was a kid, so I was really excited about it. I still want to see it. So it's I'm great. Sad that it it's, it's one that you can watch on Netflix. It's totally cool. Like a red box type red thing? box thing. It didn't do well in theaters, but I think it. Hopefully, it gets some better. Yeah, it's worth it. That's a, that's a worth it. That's a good one. And then here's the last one. Can you guess? Just think back to all the movies. Like, what would you guess? What was the worst movie you saw last year? Boy, Minions. Minions by far. I didn't see Minions. Okay, that one didn't flop. I know, but you asked which one was the worst one that we've seen. I know what it is because I look at it and I keep thinking, I ought to watch that because the original was so big. I know. That's what my mom said, but Ben-Hur. Ben-Hur. $120 million loss. That's sad. I'm not sure what it was. Um, It was the biggest box office flop of 2016. That's too bad. I don't know. I... I've seen the original when I was a kid. I don't know. I didn't really feel all that excited. My mom, I think, went on and said it was okay. But, I mean, it's... it's. I don't know. You know what you're getting there. Yeah. It's good stuff. I don't, it's just nobody I don't wanted it. Apparently. Maybe... People maybe, aren't religious enough. Again, back to that. I don't... I don't know. Anyways, I thought that was interesting. That's great, great insight. So, if you need some movies to go watch and you want to help recuperate some of the funds yeah, for these people... Yeah, go help out these movie makers. Although, I'm not sure. I mean, that sounds like a lot of money, but with... The amount of money, like Paramount and MGM and oh, all those yeah. people have, like I don't think it was that big of a loss. It's but just money. Come did on. You know that Somebody movie, lost a job over it. We can. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure, sure someone got that. fired. Totally, totally. But uh, Caitlin, you killed it. Thanks. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. You gonna choose one of those for the weekend? Take, no, I'm gonna go see Finding Dory again because that one made the most money. Yeah, because that needs more money. Eleven point three billion dollars. Finding Dory. I never saw that one. Go see it. I recommend it. Oh, brother. Good stuff. Thanks, Caitlin. Yeah. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, Jeff Simpson, on board as well. Hello, Joffrey. Hello. So good to have you with us. We got a great show. Uh, I needed that today. This is the, did you? Yeah. You're a little down, a little melancholy. Mm-hmm. We've got, uh, it's Friday, and so Friday means movies. We will be talking with Rod Gustafson. Jeff did a wonderful interview with him. He was here live. He was in the building. Yeah, it threw me off a little bit. Yeah, it's kind of weird to look him in the eyes, isn't it? <laughs> I'm not sure what you mean by that. I don't either. We normally have to talk over the phone, but we use Skype. But this time it was just eye to eye. You just got to talk to him. Yeah. And you reviewed some movies. We'll get to that. We'll also do a little uh, news flush later in the show. Plus, we'll visit the good brethren from BYU Sports Nation and a hero story. There you go. That's the hour. That's how you wrap up a a great Friday. Happy uh, Friday to you. It's also happy time to take down the Christmas tree. And Jeff says you have to sing this song in German. I'm getting residuals, by the way, every time I play the Motab. They give me a little cut. A little kickback? Because they need the, the, the exposure. You probably ought not say that on the air. Because now you're going to be audited. We'll just edit that out. Okay, just edit that. Edit piece that out in. before we get audited. We um, there are there's really a lot to talk about. Um, 
Normally, we just toss it over to Terry to do the news and to give us a little news update. But uh, today, that's not going to happen. He's been let go. We've let. <laughs> don't say that either. In the we, middle of the show. Yeah, he we we didn't let him go. We he's got an appointment he had to get to, and then he he teed up the news beautifully. He laid it down. It was perfect. We could have just tossed to it and then just had a little technical glitch. Mm. What do you do? So as far as the news goes, it's pretty much this. Uh, Russia impacting our election. All the intelligence agencies are saying they were involved. Donald Trump today gets to meet with the intelligence experts and they're going to give him the lowdown really on what happened with Russia. So we're all dying to find out what Donald says after this meeting. I think we already have a clip of of what he said during the meeting. Let's hear it. This was locker room talk. Certainly I'm not proud of it, but this is locker room talk. Yeah. So they just had more locker room talk. Yeah. Apparently they talk a lot in the intelligence world, like they talk locker room talk. Well, you go into the the boardroom and it's actually recreated to be a locker room. So it's more literal. It's locker that, room talk. Is that how oh, it is? Yeah. I did not so know So it's not that. that they were saying inappropriate things, no. but it actually took place in a locker room. So he's – so Don is – the Donster is going to be I, you know, working with uh, our intelligence officers maybe in a locker room talking type of environment. And he's going to have to figure out if he will believe his intelligence officers about Russia or if he will just continue to believe – Julian Assange from WikiLeaks and or and Mr. Putin. He's got to pick. Pick your poison. So um, that's coming up. Uh, you know, that's in the news. So you got to be watching for that. Also, Donald's now kind of in another fiasco because he has forever said Mexico is going to pay for the wall. But now he's saying they're uh, what we're going to do is we're going to use some congressional laws that have already been passed. For border security, so Congress will actually pay for the wall, but then he's going to get Mexico eventually to pay up, and Mexico says not happening. And you, you're aware now that uh, this wall is going to extend along the northern border. The northern too, right? border. There's a northern wall. I think they call it the Maple Wall. And we we knew about this yeah. long before uh, the other people in the news did. And in fact, we've we've actually we've asked. We've we've gone to the people that back the the maple wall, the Canadian wall. It's a different wall. It's a different mentality, right? Because when with the Mexican wall, it was about keeping you know people out of the country. But the maple wall is actually about keeping people in the United States, right? And before you know we. Uh... Before they have a chance to do that, Canada is welcoming people to come to Canada, especially if you're sore that Donald Trump is the president. I think we've got – they're one of our sponsors. This election has left many Americans rethinking their citizenship. For those of you who are planning on immigrating to another country, we here at the Canadian Chamber of Commerce would like to share this important message – We've got attractions to suit Americans of all political persuasions. Welcome to Canada. For those of you who are flabbergasted that Trump even got the GOP nomination, why not give Ontario a try? If you're looking to get your real estate license, but have issues with attending Trump University Victoria, 
Then check out Whitewater University, now scandal-free for eight years. Need to send a private email? Ontario boasts hundreds of internet cafes with secured servers, so you can live free from the fear of a lawsuit. And speaking of lawsuits, the legal team of Papillon, Papillon, and Leibowitz will fight for you the next time you're involved in a shady investment. Welcome to Canada. When you don't get your way, come our way, eh? So I, get out now while you can. <laughs> I love that. We've got sponsors galore. Yeah. Pepion, Pepion, and Leibowitz. Yes. Great law firm. Um, but so Donald keeps, you know, is he going to keep the promise of building the wall or is he not? But it's it's crazy because everybody makes such a big deal about everything he says about the Mexican wall. But nobody's talking about the maple wall. Right. Nobody. We broke the maple wall story. How long ago was that? It was back in November, early November. Early November, we sent one of our our reporters, Ron Broca, mm-hmm. a distant relative to the now famous Tom Broca. Right. And um, Ron broke the story about the maple wall keeping Americans in America. In his victory speech, President-elect Donald Trump said it is now time for America to come together and be unified. And now we're learning that in this call for unity, Trump is changing his tune on his controversial plan for immigration reform. Sources close to the American Corps of Engineers have informed us that the Corps is busy working on a new plan, one which focuses less on keeping immigrants out and more on keeping U.S. citizens in. In addition to the wall along the Mexican border, there will be a wall built along the Canadian border. This new plan will help enforce Trump's edict to unite America by preventing citizens from fleeing to the loving arms of our neighbors to the north. Now, the details are sparse at this time, but we are getting word that Trump will be meeting with the Army Corps of Engineers in January to discuss what type of walls these will be. We've been told that at the moment they seem to be leaning toward using steel. However, if that proves to be too costly, they will entertain other options, such as vinyl, aluminum, and even chain link. We'll release more details regarding what is being referred to as the Maple Wall Plan as they become available. Reporting live from Washington, D.C., I'm Ron Brokaw. Ron is, is routinely early on the scene. Yeah. Some would argue too early, maybe even too fast to really verify certain facts. Yeah. I mean, there's – you've heard of fake news. Yeah. Well, there's there's news. That's like with the reporters that like worry about the facts. And then there's fake news, which is just all a lie. It's just a means of manipulating the public. And then there's Ron Brokaw. Hmm. Reporting Matt Townsend news or what we call empty news. Hmm. So there's there's actually three categories because Ron's not fake news. Ron's, He's talking about real issues. Real issues. And there are facts in his story. Real issues, real fast. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Real issues, real fast. Not real facts. Yes. Ron Broca. Hey, uh, sad news coming out of SeaWorld. Tilikum, the killer whale that was in Blackfish. Yeah. That orca whale died. Oh. Just passed away. 
Did you see that movie? Yeah, like wasn't that years ago? Yeah. Yeah, I did. He's the he's the whale with the little curved fin that kills t- dorsal fin. Kills people? Yeah. Well, I mean he's a killer. He's a killer whale. Well, you don't get that label lightly. No. No. I mean unless you're a rapper. <laughs> but he's not a rapper. He died. Uh um and they I guess they announced back in March that he was sick, was dying. He probably wouldn't make it much longer, but he lived all the way through, you know, to January. Wow. So it's sad. But, um, you know, it's scary because we've had so many stars dying. Carrie Fisher. Carrie Fisher. Now you wonder. Debbie Reynolds. I wonder if Tillicum's mother is alive still. Don't It'll be wonder? the day after. Yeah. That's what happens. So our, that's sad. That's, I mean, there's a lot of people that. Just love those cute little animals. I didn't. Well, they're not really enough. little. Well, huge. Yeah, huge, huge animals. When you go to Sea World, by the way, do you do you sit in this the splash zone, or are you a non splash zone person? I'm kind of a non splash yeah. zone because it's not clean water. Oh, sure it is. It's just blue clear water. Blue clear water with no fish feel or scent to it. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah, you shouldn't worry about that. That's not a big deal. Um, I don't know if you heard, too, in the news, important news, the uh, Joe Biden, vice president, the sitting vice president, called Donald Trump uh, or told Donald Trump in an interview that he needs to grow up. Grow up, Donald. Grow up. Time to be an adult. You're president. You got to do something. Show us what you have. You're going to propose it on legislation. We're going to get to debate it. Let the public decide. Let them vote in Congress. Let's see what happens. It's going to be much clearer what he's for and against and what we're for and against now that it's going to get down to actually discussing in detail these issues that affect people's lives. Yeah. Now, do you think a vice president, a sitting vice president, president should call the president-elect and tell him to grow up? I mean, should, should that be said? It seems pretty abrupt. Yeah. Well, I know that they've had some words back and forth, haven't they? Yeah, there's been a lot of back and forth between – because the transition doesn't – Donald's saying it's not going as well as he thought it would be because there's these jabs that have been going back and forth between Obama and Trump. Says who? <laughs> Says uh, everybody. You know. It's getting ugly. But – the guy's not even in office yet. We can't even give him a chance, and he's not even hasn't even done any work yet. But some of it is Donald Trump. You can't say half the stuff he says. That's just you do need to grow up on that end. They say when he, you're in an interview with him or you're meeting with him, he's very cordial. He's very easy to work with and negotiate with and talk to when you're in front of his face. But we figured out there's something going on about three in the morning. When he's up and at him and starts tweeting. Those are not the finest hours for Donald <laughs> Trump. Not the finest hours. Um, did you see that uh, Samsung is unveiling a new um, – a new – what's it called? Oh, yeah. A new incendiary device. I think they're calling – the next model is the fireproof – Samsung fireproof. The, yeah. They're calling it they're they're calling it um, a Chromebook. So this is a, this is a laptop. Samsung debuts new Chromebook appliances, and I guess these are also stuff you can put in your house. 
they're 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 laying out a bunch of new products. I also saw a really cool product that is uh, it's a television that you can roll up. It's really, like a piece of paper. Pretty mm. amazing. Can they make one that's like on a fruit roll up that you could also eat if you wanted to? Yeah, now that would be good. Hmm. But I don't know. It's probably not something you'd want to do. I mean, there's a lot of power going through there. You know a lot about electrical <laughs> surges, don't you? <sighs> I thought we had put this behind us. Why? You, for example, I just have a question. If I have a dryer, let's say, or a washer, and it has its own special, um, what do you call it, jack, uh, cord plug, like right behind my dryer, I've got a three-pronged, big three-pronged plug. Let's say I go buy one of those plugs, right, and I plug it into the wall. Anything going to happen there? Not as long as it's connected to the dryer, Matt. What if it's not connected to the dryer? What happens? Then you better not be holding the other end of that. What happens if you are? Well, thank goodness I didn't have to find out. We about lost you a few years ago. No, a few months ago. I'm glad you're back. So when it comes to the Samsung, it's it's basically the Chromebook Plus. It's like a laptop. It's about 500 bucks. But it, 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 it's, I guess, going to compete with the MacBook Pro. I mean, come on. I didn't know Samsung. Were they doing computers? No, but their sales are going to be on fire. Yeah, they are. Totally true. They're going to blaze past Apple. Yeah. By the way, one hot product. Mmm. Yeah. Burning through the high-tech market. The view, the reviews of it so far have been really spicy. Wow. Caliente. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we've got uh, we've got a great interview with Rod Gustafson and from ParentPreviews.com. Uh, some movie reviews. Jeff Simpson will be in on that one. You're not going to want to miss it, folks. Doing what we can to get you ready for the weekend. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt for this segment, but that's okay because this is one of my favorite segments. We've got Rod Gustafson here from ParentPreviews.com, who uh, it's it helps us make more informed decisions as parents for our children when we're watching films. And uh, this is just a prime time for films. Isn't that right, Rod? It certainly is. At least it's a prime time for artsy films. Yes. <laughs> and you've, you've got at least a couple of those that we're going to talk about today, right? Yeah, yeah. These are, you know, if you've already seen Rogue One six times <laughs> and you're thinking, you know, maybe I just want something a little bit different. Here's some a couple of ideas for you. So I should explain, January, usually we get two kinds of movies. We get, we get the movies that the studio is pretty convinced that this film's not going anywhere. And they, it's called, kind of the dumping ground. And right. then we also get the movies... Uh, yeah, like look out for monster trucks next weekend. Sorry, oh. <laughs> I just groan Anyhow. from the trailers yeah, alone. Yeah, 
Anyhow, and then we get the movies that are gunning for the big awards, and we got a couple of those today. So the first one's a film called Fences, and this film is starring Denzel Washington, and in many ways, Fences has been promoted as a Denzel Washington movie, and, and I disagree with that, and I'll tell you why in a minute, but mm. this is a movie about, it's a period film, takes place in the early 1950s, and, and Denzel plays a father and a husband, and he is a bit of a control freak. He really is trying hard to keep, he builds fences. Now, we're talking metaphorical fences, but also in this movie, he's also building a real fence, and so it's got this this cool imagery. And uh, But he's really a control freak, and he likes maintaining control over his family, over his wife, over his kids, and this type of thing. And uh, so this is... This is a serious movie that looks at some very some very deep topics. But where, you know, the first half of the movie, I was really thinking, I don't know that I'm liking this that much. And it's also, it's a stage adaptation. Oh, and, right. And I've got no problems with, with stagey movies, you know, that, that have a lot of dialogue to them because that's what most of them do. But this one really comes across as just talk, talk, talk. And you're thinking, what's the point where we're going? Where are we going with this? But then to, in the... Top of the third act, his wife, played by Viola Davis, there's a confrontation there and a secret is revealed. And she just does an amazing job. She kicks in and you realize that this movie really isn't about this husband. It's really about this wife that's holding this family together. Oh, wow. And what, and to me, that's what really redeemed the movie was. Um, I really enjoyed how this character played by Viola demonstrated how mothers are the glue that often keep uh, dysfunctional families together. And this family has some issues, mainly because of some bad choices made by Denzel's character. And so as you watch how this all unfolds and comes together, that part of it really, that that saved the movie for me towards the end there. And a magnificent performance by Viola Davis. Now, way back when, at the beginning of December, when we had our Broadcast Film Critics Association Awards, Viola did win for Best Supporting Actress. And she's mm. got a very good chance of doing likewise at the Oscars. So is she not in it a, a substantial amount enough to to get her a best actress award or no, is that too crowded? Yeah, no, technically she would be supporting because she's okay. not the protagonist and that that mm. usually, you know, it's tough for women. They don't get these protagonist roles like the men do. Yeah. And uh and each year when we look at movies we think you know, it's it's always like we'll have 50 men that we're trying to pick between as right. to which five are we going to nominate. But the women, the female field isn't nearly as crowded. But yeah, this one is much more supporting. But she is in the movie throughout the film. But then in that last act is when she really comes forward. And, uh, and there's some really interesting things that come out in that. Um, about trust and about, you know, I guess basically about the sacrifices that that often the women make to keep a family together. And yeah. that I really appreciate it. So, so you want to go see it if you like movies with good messages and movies that, that give women a good role. But if you're looking forward to watching somebody build a fence, you probably shouldn't go see it. <laughs> no, this okay. will not teach you how to build a fence. <laughs> I wish I did. I need one in my backyard. What this movie really does um, do, though, is, as I say, it hammers home that message about motherhood. Now, I should mention that this is probably best described as a mom and dad date movie. This isn't one that you're going to want to take the kids to. Uh, it's not so much that the content is so bad. There, There is some swearing in that. 
that type of thing. But but it really it deals with much more mature themes and that type of thing. Okay, uh, PG thirteen then. PG thirteen. Okay. Yes. As is the next one. Have we still got time to do a monster? Yes, absolutely. Calls? Absolutely. A monster calls is another one of those films that's gunning for awards. It won. Uh, well, no, I take that back. I think it won. I should have looked this up. I know it was definitely nominated for our visual effects award at the Broadcast Film Critics, and and likely will be nominated likewise at the Oscars as well. And uh, a monster calls another film that deals with some pretty serious themes. And this is a movie about a young boy. He's the protagonist in this film. His mother is dying of cancer. And uh, he is going through just this incredibly difficult period in his life. He's about 10 years old, I think, and and he's getting picked on and bullied like crazy at school. His mother is terminally ill. He knows he's going to lose her soon. And so within his imagination, every night at 12.07 after midnight, a tree comes alive and comes to his window and tells this little boy that he wants to tell, the tree wants to tell him a story. And so Mm. this happens over and over throughout this movie as these stories are told to this boy. Now, when you watch this movie, um, you are thinking, okay, well, there's going to be a really nice, fuzzy, warm message here that's going to happen. And it kind of surprises you in this regard. that It's not really meant to be a warm, fuzzy movie. And what this movie is really trying to do is it's trying to illustrate what a young person would be going through and the feelings and emotions that he would be having going through this process. And at the end, this young boy finally confesses an inner secret of his that is one that is very real and very understandable. And I don't want to give away the movie, but really is is very touching. So A Monster Calls, when I say it doesn't have a happy ending, things certainly um, turn out reasonably well but this isn't a movie that's going to put ice that's going to put whipped cream and a cherry on top of a very difficult story it's more realistic it then. is it is more realistic and again a movie that i think you know parents be careful obviously if you are going through a situation like this in your family this could be a very very emotional movie even if you aren't it's an emotional movie but this is probably once again a film that's a little bit more for adults uh, maybe older teens might be interested, but even though that there's this young protagonist, um, in a lot of cases, I don't know that many children would be prepared for this movie. And certainly, if they did watch this movie, parents watch it with them and be prepared to talk about things like terminal illness and bullying mm. and and feeling like, you know, for a young boy to feel like, where do I turn? What do I do with my life? And, yeah. and how are things going to work out? So is it PG-13 more for the subject matter than it is the content? Yeah, I, this is a lightweight PG-13. It really is. You know, there's, um, in fact, there's really no sexual content, no profanity. Uh, it really is about the peril and the stress of this. We see a couple of medical incidents with blood and that type of thing, but it really is about the theme in the movie that really is the issue for the PG-13. So as far as our traditional content goes, yeah, it's not, it's quite mild in that regard. So now be honest with me, because when I first saw the trailers for this, I couldn't help but think of Groot 
yes. from Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes, yes, yes. And you get a little bit of that. And, I, and Liam Neeson does the voice of the tree. And He's uh, got a great voice. Uh, he really does. He is a great voice, and that works really, really well with the film as well. So it's a movie, you know, the first time I saw it, Jeff, I didn't really like it. But then my wife watched it with me, and she quite enjoyed it. And she has talked about it more, and the more I've thought about it, the more I'm I, I, it has grown on me more, just like that old tree. But, but uh, yeah, definitely a movie that parents would want to walk their kids through. A very, very well done film. The visuals and there's animation involved during these stories and that type of thing. Really incredible to look at. Well, Rod, we really appreciate you being here on the Matt Townsend Show. And really two great movies, it sounds like. That are PG thirteen. You might not as you might not enjoy them as much if you're a kid, but uh, if your kids are going to be see it, maybe make sure to to go with them so yeah. that they can understand those themes a little better. Well, thank you so much. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we will continue on with the show, and uh, we'll do a, a little news flesh as well as speak with our good brethren at BYU Sports Nation. We'll be right back. Friends of the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, on Fridays, because we always stack up the news and we need to eventually get rid of some of this stuff. We can't have news backing up through the weekend. We like to flush some of the news stories, get them out to you as quickly as we can. And so we do this fun little bit called the News uh, Flush. Joining me to do it today will be Jeffrey Simpson. Jeffrey Lamar Simpson. No. Okay. Starts with an L. Leroy, Jeffrey Leroy Simpson. Liam. That's right. Liam Neeson. That's right. Um, I will start with my first story. Did you know that Legos, they have a new Legos kit that uh, will blow your mind because it teaches the kids to code. Legos is making block building smarter. The company is launching a new building and coding set at CES. That's the big... uh, Tech conference this in 2017, where they're going to now bring Legos together, and then there, you can write your own code, and the code will then run the chip, and the chip will then allow movement on the Lego set. Mm. Like you can even now, eventually, you'll be able to code and write code so that you can have a cat or a robot or a guitar. You can have sensors and motors now in your Lego kits. It's pretty cool. In fact, now you can get drones, Lego drones, where you can put cameras on them, and you can write code. So not only is Lego making money, they're actually making smarter kids. Wow. Thanks, Lego. Flush it. You know, speaking of toys, there's a six-year-old girl who has found a genius way to buy toys on Amazon. So there's this girl, Ashlyn Howell, whose mom was sleeping on the couch after a movie, and she used her mom's thumb to unlock her iPhone and purchase toys on Amazon. (laughs) While she was sleeping. So you know in movies when somebody will chop off somebody's thumb or they'll wait for them to pass out and they'll put their hand up on a scanner? Yeah, Yeah, She did just that. Thankfully, she didn't cut it off. But she received 13 or the mom received 13 order confirmations for Pokemon items worth $250, according wow. to The Wall Street Journal. So uh, the, the girl's parents initially thought they'd been hacked. 
But then they soon were set uh, straight by the culprit, their daughter. No, Mom, I was shopping. But don't worry, everything that I ordered is coming straight to the house. Mm. What a smart kid. Yeah. Uh, Expect her to be in jail someday. Credit card theft. (laughs) Hey, um, just because I know you do a lot of baking... I have from I you know my family used to call me Jeff Boyardee. <laughs> so they insisted on me baking the cookies. Yeah. But the older I get the more I realize I think it's just because they didn't want to have to yeah. bake the cookies. Were those themselves. your brothers that did that? Yeah. Yeah. Um there's a new trick to clean a dirty baking sheet. It may cats. be an old trick. Cats not, not cats. No. Okay. You what you do is you if you've baked something and you've got all that grease and junk on the on the cooking sheet, all you do it's a little and there's a tutorial. We'll put it up on our uh, on our Twitter feed. Sprinkle some baking soda on the sheet. Apply some hydrogen peroxide. Add some more baking soda on top. Let your mixture sit for up to two hours and then it wipes clean. Okay, it'll wipe it clean. It'll be pristine. You could eat off of it, but we have to wait two hours. Yeah, that's for you, Jeff mm. Boyardee. <laughs> Flush it. What's the longest you've gone without speaking with your wife? Um, 18 months. No, really? Just that's just funny. <laughs> no, uh, I don't know. Uh, day? So here is a guy that went 20 years without speaking to his wife. Can you wow. believe that? That's not. They need to come see me. So uh, apparently it it turned out that this man was jealous of how much attention his wife was giving to their kids. So the kids kind of rallied together and and, uh, contacted some TV shows and asked for help. And uh, my father doesn't talk to my mother, they said, but my mother talks normally to him. So the, the father says, when the kids were born, my wife was very involved and busy in raising the kids. I was kind of jealous. I was sulking about it. I don't know if you can say wow. that that was kind of jealous and call it sulking. Yeah, no, that When you seems... don't speak to somebody for 20 years. That's a long time. And he says, there's no going back now, I guess. So he spoke to his wife for the first time in more than 20 years and told her, somehow it's been quite a while since we talked. I know you have endured a lot of hardship. I want you to know I'm grateful for everything. I also want to talk after this. I hope we can work together from here. And the kids watched their parents talk to each other for the first time. And one of the kids was 18, so he's never seen his parents talk to each other. Oh, my heavens. And so it was a a very emotional moment for the kids. That's neat. Yeah. That's really great. And then I, I thought the first comment would be like, I want a divorce. I was just going to ask you, how do you, how do you, how would you handle a couple that comes to you and said, we haven't spoken in 20 years? Oh, I'd be thinking money. We're going to make a lot of money on this one. <laughs> but isn't it neat how they, they, they do it? it? And usually it just takes one person to be the bigger person. And then the other person has to receive it, right? That's interesting. That's cool. That's something you don't want to flush, but we should probably flush it. Ah. Little light jazz for you. Hey, uh, how big do you think Alaska is? How many states could you fit into Alaska? Um, it's a, a big couple, state. A couple of the western coast states, I would think. You can fit 19 states into Alaska, including states like this will blow your mind: Pennsylvania, 
New Jersey, New York, Massachusetts, Maine, Louisiana, Kentucky, Florida, Delaware, Connecticut, Indiana, West Virginia, Virginia, Vermont, Tennessee, South Carolina, Rhode Island. They all fit. So they're going to be doing this when? I think they're planning it mid-spring. Okay. Is this another one of Trump's? Yeah. Okay. Moving certain states just up to the... So Northwest. is he going to develop real estate or more oh, yeah. casinos there? Yeah. In the okay, he's opening up a Mar-a-Lago, Alaska. It's going to be super fun. Flush it. Alaska is one big bad state, but they don't have a law school. We learned that this week. Let's do one more. You got one more for us? Yeah. Um, let's do this one. So this one's no, that one's too happy. <laughs> <laughs> you can do happy ones. Okay, so. Uh, are there any sports that you played that just got a little too out of hand when you were a kid? Oh, well, any sport could get out of hand. Yes, that's, that's true. Fun. Well, it's not, I mean, this isn't one that is, should come as a surprise, but uh, this one came as a result of a dodgeball game. So there's a teen from Maiden Rock, Wisconsin, who was charged with a felony after a high school dodgeball game took a violent turn. Jacob Sigler, was, uh, he's 18, charged with one count of substantial battery in connection with an incident at uh, Ellsworth High School. So according to the complaint that was filed back in December, he punched another student in the head Ooh. after a game of dodgeball. And uh, he said it happened because he ran out of dodgeballs. He didn't have any more. <laughs> so he just so started he punching. punched the kid. So his defense was, well, he says... I'm not his best friend, but I know him, and I don't have a problem with him. Not until then, he told police. Just at that moment, I had a problem with him. Uh, He went on to say that he thought the victim was going to tackle him, so he hit him. Holy cow. Dodgeball. So, yeah, you have more weapons, it turns out, if you run out of dodgeballs. Well, but no, that's not the... I'm not advocating You're breaking the rules. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Flush it. All right, we will take a break, folks. When we come back, visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. See what uh, they think about BYU's loss last night. Crazy town. Stick with us. We'll be back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, we're going to shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Just see what they're going to be doing for the weekend and uh, follow up on the game last night. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Matthew. What's up, man? How are you? Fantastic. We missed you yesterday. I know. I've missed you guys. I Have feel you like, really? I feel like we haven't had a really good talk for days. Yeah, we probably need we that. Are. We need your counseling to help us grow as a BYU Sports Nation family. Oh, my heavens. I f- my heart just pitter-pattered. <laughs> Did it? Yeah. This wasn't agreed upon by all parties. <laughs> so uh, It generally what, isn't. <laughs> what, what management told me is you guys need an intervention. Uh, well, wait, yeah, I need a few, actually. What management? So. Uh, you, oh, you guys didn't get the memo. Yeah. Well, no, I, I don't need a memo. I know. Yeah. We're doing a little intervention later today. Okay, cool. It's going to be good. It'll be good for all. All right. But, Sounds uh, good. Where are we yeah. meeting? We'll meet in the conference room <laughs> that shares my same wall. <laughs> okay. I'll just stay in my office. Every day. Yeah. 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 Two hours you don't even have to come out of your office because no. you can hear us anyway, right? Oh, yeah. You shout through the you wall. You guys are so loud. Okay. We need I'm to sick start, of it. We need to start meeting in a different room. Yeah, you do. Be, be honest, Matt. Do you hate us because we're loud? No, 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 no. I love it. 
his. I would sleep otherwise. He never hears us. He's on the air. Oh, that's show. right. I'm always on the air. Okay, when you could we hear get us there through 30 the wall, minutes into a show. When you yeah. could hear us through the wall, did you hate us? I never hated it. I really didn't. Because <laughs> I hardly hear it except for the, every once in a while, like when you guys would throw a ball or someone starts crying. Jerem jumping on the table. and Yeah, who is that? that? Flailing. There's somebody that cries a lot during your meetings. Who cries? That's, that has to be Ben Bagley, right? That might be Ben. Yeah. yeah. Hey, um, what happened last night in that game? Uh, BYU got beat by a better team, Matt. Is that what it was? St. Mary's is, that is what a it, really, good, really team. good team. Now, are they Solid. top 20, right? Yeah. I loved what Jerem said yesterday when he's like, they're the team that you just can't do anything but hate because they're so good <laughs> at so many things. Yeah. They're annoyingly efficient. Yes. Annoyingly yes. efficient. They're the San Antonio Spurs of college basketball. So I'm assuming you're going to cover this today. Oh, yeah. Does it a little bit? Does it is it just that St. Mary's is that good, or is BYU having a tr- some troubles? BYU is young. St. Mary's is the experienced, mature team, right? Yeah, that's it. It's kind of like your it's, show it's, and my show. Yeah, it's more than that. BYU is a little reckless. Are they defensively? They don't you hard... think the youth plays into that though? At what point? point? It, well, I wait. I thought they went on missions, and they're not young. No, they're as really a team. You know I mean, what I mean? I mean like at some team. at some point, it's like all right, enough. Yeah, there's a bunch of freshmen and sophomores for BYU. St. Mary's on a different level, and that's hard to swallow for BYU fans right now because Cougar fans want this this team to compete for a WCC title, and they're not ready for that right now. Yet what have we been saying from October on, Jerem, about this team? Be patient. It's going to take some time for this team to gel and really start to do the things that we hope they will do. You hope in February BYU can compete with St. Mary's and Gonzaga better. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. and hopefully BYU can go on a run here and learn some things. And do it's you learn tough... defense in a month? Do you learn no. shot selection in a month? You don't learn the, anything the, in a month. These are the concerns I have with this team. It's uber talented, but there's a clear distinction between Gonzaga, St. Mary's, and BYU right now. And that's hard to swallow. <laughs> it's a tough division. I'm looking down the list, and yeah, it's tough. By the time St. Mary's comes to Provo, they could very well be a top 10 team, depending on what they do against Gonzaga, right? Yeah. I mean, the West Coast Conference might have, legitimately might have a couple of top 10 teams at some point this season. That's two crazy. Top 20, we know yeah. that. Yeah. Well, is, and is it true Gonzaga is sixth in the country, fifth in the country? Number five right that's now. That's crazy. Four in one poll. Wow, this, that's amazing. This might be their best team ever, and they've gone to the Elite Eight the last two seasons. Mm-hmm. So we'll we'll wow. see St. Mary's. This okay. might be their best team this ever. So yeah, the, the the top two teams in the league are really good. What are we um, What are we talking about on your show today? Uh, a lot of that. Okay. What we saw last night. What happened for BYU <laughs> and St. Mary's? Mighty wind, mighty wind. Very yeah, nice. Yeah. Very nice. That's was really, that Jeff chiming in. That was Jeff chiming mm-hmm. in. Very yeah. nicely done, Jeff. Mm-hmm. He knows his. Cafe. He loves Mighty Wind. I appreciate that. And then we have one of our favorite guests, just because of his outgoing, hilarious, hilarious personality. Uh, we jokingly called him the John, the American Johnny Linehan yesterday. Oh, really? He's more, it's more the Johnny Linehan of the 80s. Lee Johnson will join us. Oh, cool. He's a big personality. Yes. He's a big personality, personality like you two. He played 18 years in the NFL, what? man. No, way bigger. Kicker? 18 years Kicker. in the NFL. Yeah. That's amazing. I know. No BYU player has played more. Who does that? Longer in the NFL than Lee Johnson. Dude's a baller. That's cool. That's cool. So he's yeah. on, so you'll laugh a lot. We'll and be we live were... today, by the way, at 6 Eastern. Normally it's a rebroadcast.
later. We're going to be live uh, as we rem- we celebrate the life of Lavelle Edwards. Yeah. Oh, cool. That's yeah. perfect. I Including love uh, a very emotional, uh, powerful, uh, I, I don't know what to call it. I mean, it's Lavelle on Lavelle. Just... Oh, wow. I asked him a bunch of questions, and the coach um, discussed all of those things uh, very late in his life. It's an exclusive to BYU TV, and uh, it's emotional stuff. So Good be stuff. sure and do not miss that. Good job, guys. That's a great—you got a scoop, and you, you, I have a feeling this will be incredibly moving as well. Hmm. Yeah, just by the nature of it. You're good. Okay, well, uh, go have a great show. I know you got to stretch out. And then go figure out why Bagley is always screaming and crying. Okay. That might take a while. I just figured it out. Uh, will you send me a text when you figure it out? Sure. That should be part that, of the interview. That will show up well. on the show. This will take a while. Okay, that's good. <laughs> that's a different show. Which is my favorite name for a show ever. <laughs> this will take a while. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I'm not going to listen to that. <laughs> this is going to take too long. <laughs> this will no, be super fast. You're going to want to listen to that show. Hey, good stuff, guys. Knock them dead. Thanks, Have Matt. a great one. Have a great weekend, too. I'm telling you that's cool. Um, You... What was the name of the movie you love? A Mighty Wind. What's that? What happened? That's funny. Didn't I? It's one of those mockumentaries. Oh, I love those. With Christopher Guest. And, you know, it's got all the he's has the same actors in all these movies. Yeah. Eugene Levy and Fred Willard is the one that said, hey, what happened? Which was <laughs> the name of his uh, TV show at, when he was a younger actor. Oh, really? A, in, in the movie. In the movie. Yeah. A Mighty Wind. Yes. It's a that. spoof of folk music. <laughs> and uh it is one of the I think I think it's my second favorite of his movies. I'm looking at I'm looking at it right now and it actually just reminds me of you know the picture of our our team, our show staff. One of the uh songs from the film was nominated for an Academy Award for best original song. A Kiss at the End of the Rainbow. Oh, wow. That sounds fantastic. Check it out. I will. A Mighty Wind. You might want to – maybe that could be just something you do this weekend. Everybody go watch A Mighty Wind. We'll all check back Monday. It's PG-13. It's PG-13. Released in 2003. If you know folk music, you're probably going to laugh your head off. And if you don't, it's still really funny. You'll still laugh your head off. Hey, a Florida gas station robber um, apparently – didn't have a disguise. See, this is one of those robbers that just they're not planning ahead. You got to think before you hit the, you know, before you commit the crime. The Pasco County Sheriff's Office is searching for a gas station robbery suspect who was caught on camera with what appears to be a drawn on beard as a disguise. He he apparently took a marker and uh, he was in his 30s or 40s, a heavy set male, wearing a red bandana, long dark hair that was all up in the bandana, and a green military style pilot suit. Police, though, are very optimistic because he used those scented markers. So yeah. they so smell like licorice. the dogs on him. Yeah. You know, some people just cannot grow a beard, no matter what they do. <laughs> so, but you don't draw it on because. It seems like he'll be able. You can catch him for the next week because he's the guy with the faint drawn-on beard. I think that would be my superpower to just be able to grow a beard like that. Really? Yeah. Boom. 
I've you know, got three days. My superpower would be to not grow back hair. Like that. Ooh. Yeah, we've seen it. Yeah, it's bad when it's like poking out of the collar of the shirt. You know what I mean? That's what we've done. Hey, as a hero story, you'll, you know we love to end the show with a hero story. To get you kind of up, understand what, uh, what life's about. We're all really just here. Heroes for each other. A family in Pennsylvania was saved from a fire thanks to a sharp-eyed teacher and the Ambridge Area School District's failure to agree on a new contract with their union. Listen to this. Striking teachers were walking a picket line two weeks ago when they spotted smoke rising from the house about a block away. They dropped their picket signs and ran to help. Science teacher Karen DeMarco said that there was no answer at the door when they were banging on it, so they decided uh, they knocked it uh, down. They just knocked the door down instead, waiting for firefighters to arrive. We found a lady of the ho- in the house there sitting in one room. There were several oxygen tanks in the room as well. DeMarco says, we felt that we, we needed to get her out with the oxygen tanks, right, or there would be an explosion. And um, anyway, there was also apparently a daughter that ended up being in the home as well. And a grandfather. Everybody got out. The teachers got them all out. Physical education teacher Jeff Modrovich was also there. And special ed teacher Peter Keller. They were all part of that. Anyway, they ended up saving the entire family. But if the teachers hadn't been picketing, they may not have observed it. And if they hadn't observed it, then it would have created other problems. So thank heavens, right? A little strike goes a long way. It ended up saving a family. So for the teachers there in Pennsylvania, you're the hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show. We are going to wrap it up. That's the week. And uh, we'll be back Monday. More ideas, more information to help you live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. Until then, let's look after the people we love. Let's change. Let's be different. Let's be healthier. We'll talk again Monday. Take care.